This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. You ready for a great day? Post-vice presidential debate. Holy cow. What a night. Didn't watch it. You didn't? No. Well, what did you do all night? I ironed shirts. Okay. Sounds fun. <laughs> it was probably more fun than watching that debate. The funny thing about the debate, um, it really, I think, solidified in my head that we have the wrong candidates running for president. So you're saying either one of those would make a better candidate than either Hillary or, or Donald yes! Trump? Yes. Yes. And um, boy, you know who really surprised me was Pence. Because he pretty much, he's got the worst job in politics. Hands the clean, down. The cleanup crew. Yeah. But like, for <laughs> it's the cleanup crew for, you know, like after a parade where they have a lot of horses. Right. It's like that. So the guy at Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. But because uh, he's just got the candidate that has said so many things that are offensive. And I'm pretty sure that uh, that every one of them was brought up last night. Every possible offensive thing that has ever been said was brought up by was, Tim Kaine. Was he a publicist or PR guy before this? Apparently. And he's got a great memory. But the difference was Kane kept fighting, fighting, fighting. But he kind of sounded naggy, angry, flippant, mean. So basically the opposite of the presidential debate happened yeah. during the vice presidential debate. I guess that's true. A lot of people always complain that Hillary sounds like she's screaming. Well, Tim Kaine, I think he just he is part of it's because there's so much content. He can just he just kept bringing up stuff. He interrupted, I think, like 70 times. But Pence just kept he was like the face of just calm. Like, dude, relax, relax, relax. He didn't say that. Donald didn't say that. So, boy, Pence came off, I thought, looking really calm, collected, cool. Kane came off. Basically citing every line anti-Trump, you know, which you'd expect him to do. And I think he did his job, but I think Pence maybe had an edge. So Kane was Trump and Pence was Clinton. Yeah, from the last debate. It's setting us up for this weekend's debate is going to pretty much decide it. I'm pretty sure. Because... Trump's already behind. All the polls are showing he's really getting behind now. And we'll see what this does. But I think what this did is it set Pence up for the fact that Pence Pence tells every – I mean it was, it was perfect to show that the Republicans, if they had put anybody else up but Donald Trump, he'd, they'd be cleaning house right now. So are you telling people that they maybe ought to consider writing in Mike yes. Pence's name? That's what I'm saying now. Mike Pence for president. Well, I think he just set himself up for the next round because he he's being a good soldier. He's taking one for the team. He could have thrown Trump under the bus about 50 times last night, and he didn't. So he he just kind of kept rolling his eyes, and in the end, what do you do? So, Nailed it! Nailed 
bit. We'll get into more of that debate talk. Holy cow. Plus, we'll play some clips from that. Again, oh, it's still politics. And what do you do? What do you do? We'll get to all that fun stuff. Plus, Hunter Schwartz will be joining us. He is a, a, a uh, an elections reporter, a political reporter for Independent Journal Review. Wanted to get his take on what he thought about the debate. And also, uh, he wrote a wonderful article using one of Trump's books uh, uh, called The Art of the Comeback was Trump's book. And, and uh, Hunter Schwartz wrote an article about, is Donald Trump following his own advice? Didn't LL Cool J write that book? I don't, I don't think so. Oh, no, he did a song called Don't Call It a Comeback. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know LL Cool J was into politics. So I bet he didn't, right? Yeah. Um, we'll, get, uh, we'll get into all that fun stuff. Plus, you know, more stories and information that you, you may not even need in your life, but you probably are still going to get from us. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Last night, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine went head-to-head in the vice presidential debate with CBS reporter Elaine Quijano as moderator. Both Kaine and Pence embraced the role of attack dog, using the only vice presidential debate to focus on reinforcing the most negative perceptions of their opponent over defending the top of their own ticket. Pence attempted to paint Hillary Clinton as symbolic of the status quo, while Tim Kaine frequently challenged him to defend the bombastic statements of running mate Donald Trump has made throughout the the campaign. Mike Pence has a narrow victory of the debate, according to a CNN ORC poll of viewers. Pence topped Tim Kaine 48% to 42% with a margin of error of 4.5 percentage points. Democratic Vice Presidential nominee Tim Kaine stepped onto the debate stage at Longwood University wearing a small pin on the lapel of his suit jacket. Immediately across social media and searching online, people wondered what exactly it means to have a small white pin outlined in red and a blue star in the middle. The pin is the service flag, also known as the blue star flag. Blue star pins are worn by parents and family members of Americans currently serving in the U.S. military during a time of war or hostilities. Kaine's son is currently serving in the United States Marine Corps, as is Mike Pence's. The Hillary Clinton campaign doesn't expect any salacious attacks from Donald Trump in the second presidential debate Sunday. We are expecting him to be better prepared in the next debate, campaign manager Robbie Mook told reporters at Longwood University. He has stated that he intends to make all kinds of salacious attacks. We actually don't expect that. I think he understands that that's not the right strategy. A number of his advisors have said that. Mook referenced deposition tapes of Trump released last week of the case regarding a restaurant that pulled out of his Washington, D.C. hotel, saying they prove there is a calm, cool, and collected Donald Trump who could show up. Mook said that Clinton is going to to be ready for whatever he sends her way. And finally, Matt, how much in the past four years have you paid for gas? What's the most you've paid for gas? Ooh, per gallon? Yeah. Like a, no, like a total. Oh, like, a total. Probably the most I've paid for any car. Uh, well, we used to have a Suburban. For gas. No, no, no. For gas. Yeah. Yeah. So like one, like usually right now, like... It's maybe like 30 bucks. Yeah. What's the most you've paid? Well, uh, 70. 70? Okay. Well, a couple in Florida recently was shocked when nearly a $10,000 charge from a nearby Valero was charged to their credit card. Ooh. Um, he, he went to Valero. The husband filled up the car with maybe $20 or something like that. He used the credit card. The couple discovered the next day the card was declined because their credit card had been charged with $9,949, <laughs> which would have equaled 27,000 gallons of gas. Valero. Valero. Wow. And so they got it reversed after a couple of weeks. They actually had to fight with the gas station, surprisingly, <laughs> a little bit, and the bank. But they 
they got a lot of gas. Well, that's a lot apparently. of Slim Jims. Yeah. That's a lot of uh, soda. Yeah. So much more stuff they could have been Step into a Slim Jim. <laughs> Remember those old commercials? Those were good commercials. It's a, uh, but what do you do? That's 10 grand. Then yeah. you got to go fight it. Then you got to explain it to your wife. No, seriously, honey. I really didn't need I, that much gas. I, I seriously, it was what thirty dollars in gas, couple of Slim Jims, and some nibs. Life was good. Wow, thanks, Sadie. Appreciate it. Hey, we got a, uh, we got. Oh, yeah, you're still you're still on this LL Cool J thing. Well, this is. So I think he wrote the book first, right? Yeah, Don, Donald wrote a book uh, first, and I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with what you're talking about here. He he didn't, he he has nothing to do with LL Cool I'm, J. I'm telling you, this should be Trump's new theme song when he comes on stage. Mama said, "Knock you out." <laughs> I see, Jeff. I don't know if that's a good political theme, like. But it's what he's been claiming all along. Mama said, knock you out? Well, uh, he's been claiming that he's, you know, he's going to win handily. I'm going to beat her so easily. I haven't even started on her yet. Well, I know, but Mama, I guess we could infer that Mama is is Hillary Clinton, said, knock you out, Donald Trump. And she's well on her way to do that. Well, who's to say that Trump's Mama... Didn't tell him to knock her out. Well, I think, um, I just think it's kind of it's kind of an ob it's it's probably it's not as obvious of a of a statement. It's it's not going to be as successful for you. I mean, a political campaign needs a really strong statement. <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> something like "Mama said, knock you out." Yeah. Well, talk about knockouts last night. There wasn't one. It was um, I punch you, you punch me. I punch you, then you look at me and you say, you're still talking? Uh, then the poor debate moderator sits there and says, guys, please, governor, governor, please, governor. Hey, guys, governor, governor. From the very beginning, she had lost the game. She was gone. They pretty much ignored her. But, I mean, I liked how they, they moved through a lot of topics. But every single time, and I think Tim Kaine was doing his job, he just brought it back to, yeah, but Donald Trump, you know, called somebody, you know, this name. Okay. Fight, fight, fight. Oh, there we go. You going there again? So Governor, instead of Governor, talking about important issues, Kane was just saying, oh, and Trump said this, and he said this, 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 and this. Yeah. Wow. But Pence, I really thought... Pence looked very, I think, calm, collected, cool. The kind of guy you'd want in the chair. Not the electric chair, the other chair. The presidency. And Tim Kaine looked like he was a servant of Hillary. I'm Charles Foster Kane. <laughs> Mike, Mike Pence looked like he didn't even know who his running mate was <laughs> because Tim Kaine kept bringing out all these quotes and Mike Pence kept saying, yeah, he didn't say that. Then the fact checkers two minutes later are like, oh, yeah, he said it. And here's an audio. Says who? Says who? So anyway, uh, in the end, many of the punditry are are basically 
throwing it a little bit toward Pence. Pence, like 48% of people on the CNN poll, I think, uh, said Pence won, 42% said Kane won. That's about the difference of uh, Hillary and Trump right now, 48 and 42%. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it seems like people are locked and loaded. I don't know if anybody picks anybody up because of this debate. Do you think anybody's out there thinking – can we have Pence with Hillary? Can we just get those two together? Yeah, so I bet you some are tonight. And I think a bunch of others are saying, why? Why didn't we? Why didn't we pick anyone else? Really, I truly honestly believe if we um, had a race with Hillary and any other candidate, it would be a much more interesting race. I mean, this is interesting, but – I was going to say, this is pretty interesting. Well, it's not interesting for the democracy. It's actually tragic. Yes. But it's interesting for the press and the media. But in the end, 80% of what they talked about were stupid things Trump had said that never needed to be say, said. And he said it. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid. Yep. Here's some quotes from Mike Pence last night. Uh, Mike Pence took on – he kept trying to tie Hillary Clinton to Obama and uh, Obama's foreign policy. What we're dealing with is, is the, you know, there's an old proverb that says the Russian bear never dies, it just hibernates. And the truth of the matter is the weak and feckless foreign policy of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama has awakened an aggression in Russia that first a- a- appeared a few years ago with their move in Georgia. Now their move into Crimea, now their move into the wider Middle East. And, and all the while, all we do is, is fold our arms and say we're not having talks anymore. To answer your question, we just need American strength. We, we, need to, we need to marshal the resources of our allies in the region and in the immediate. We need to act and act now to get people out of harm's way. I mean, the, the great thing is he, Pence did what Trump didn't do. He kept tying everything back to Hillary's actions. Did he just call her a Russian bear? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. I think he was using a metaphor. Wow. Uh, Tim Kaine brought up, a, again, another hit on Trump. And Tim used these lines all night that you could tell were practiced, rehearsed, beautifully written lines by his, uh, by his staff. He trash talks the military. The military is a disaster. John McCain's no hero. The generals need all to be fired, and I know more than them. He wants to tear up alliances. NATO is obsolete and will only work together with Israel if they pay big league. Third, he loves dictators. He's got kind of a personal Mount Rushmore. Uh, Vladimir Putin, Kim oh, Jong-un, Muammar Gaddafi, oh, and Saddam Hussein. Do you hear Pence back there? Was see, that, come on. Was that pain? Uh, yeah. Well, that, see, that's what, that's what he did. And he's like, oh, boy, look at you. Little, little children. What are we fighting about here? That's where I think Pence, because you can't defend his love fest with with Putin. So instead he just shakes his head and he's like, he did not say that. What are you talking about? That went on all night long. So of all the fact checking that went on, how much of this was, did they find out was true? Well, I, I think, a, I think a lot of it's true that he said it, but I think Pence's point was, um, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it or it's Pretty out much. of, out of context. Well, or? some of it's out of context, okay. but some of it is, we, can you not compliment another leader in this country? And then 
Cain would jump on it and start saying, well, yeah, but you're you're also putting down your president, your leader. You're saying Obama's the worst. And then he's the, – the deal was we never got to issues long enough to actually vet the issues and vet the candidates on the issues um, because we were always defending the next Trumpism, Trumpism, well, Trumpism, 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 which – is the exhausting part of having Donald Trump as a candidate because he got he gets in his way so much you can't run a race. You, you know, can't in, run a race. In Trump's defense, he could actually name a world leader. So, <laughs> but Kane would say it's because he's doing business with him. Of course, he's making millions with the man. Anyway, crazy debate, and uh, we've got a great guest coming on. Hunter Schwartz will be joining us. He is a. Uh, an independent uh, or a national political reporter for Independent Journal Review. He's also worked uh, with the Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Los Angeles Bureau. He's a great expert on politics, media, faith, pop. You got it. He's got it all in there. So we'll get to all of that with Hunter Schwartz. Find out his view of the debate and what he thinks about the next 30-plus days of this election. Stick with us. We're talking politics up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the line with us is Hunter Schwartz. He's a national political reporter. He covers the intersection of politics and Hollywood and the 2016 elections for the Independent Journal Review. Before joining the Independent Journal Review, Schwartz uh, worked with the Washington Post and BuzzFeed's Los Angeles Bureau, where he covered politics, media, faith. And uh, we're honored to have him on the show to pick his brain politically. Hunter, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Good to have you. So, what'd you think of last night? The big debate. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm a big fan of vice presidential debates. I think maybe that's because there's only one of them. Um, Also, we've had a lot of really good characters the past few vice presidential debates. Um, But, I mean, it definitely provided voters uh, a different view into the the candidacies of of the two major parties, uh, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine are you know they're different politicians than Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Oh yeah, and in fact, I almost felt like you could hear the Republican Party uh, moaning, thinking, "Why didn't we just have a kind of a more normal candidate?" Yeah, and I think I think that that's kind of uh, what Mike Pence does for a lot of voters. I think I think last night you probably had some Republicans who. Are they've been uneasy about Trump, but they saw Mike Pence and they're like, you know, I can get behind this ticket because I I support the running mate. Mm. Yeah, he's kind of he's like the grown up in the room. Yeah, he well, he 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 definitely. I mean, he was very calm. Um, You know, where the first presidential debate was kind of marked by the way uh, that Clinton was able to get under Trump's skin. Um, We we kind of saw the opposite. I mean, Pence was very calm and collected. And the way Kane came across, I mean, he interrupted more than sixty times. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think, kind of the feeling in Washington today, it, it depends on who you ask on what their takeaway from the debate is. Republicans feel like this was a win for us. Pence won. Where Democrats, they're really pointing to um, Pence did not defend his running mate. Every time Kane brought up certain things that that Trump had said, Pence kind of deflected. He mm-hmm. never really 
answer for the things that Trump said. So I, there's kind of two two narratives that are coming out depending on who you talk to today. Do you do you sense that? Um... I mean, it, was there an advantage any to anyone? Because it almost just seemed like they shored up again the people that already love their candidates or tolerate and and then see their candidates as palatable. But did you think either of them picked up any key demographic last night? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. With it, kind of it reinforced what people thought. Um, you know, I do think, however, I, on the Republican side, a big question is. Uh, suburban female voters. Mm -hmm. These are groups that historically vote very Republican, but they also are having a hard time with with the idea of voting for Trump. And, you know, what Pence really brings to the table, I mean, he's he's more of a social conservative. What we saw last night, I mean, we had had discussion about abortion, which really hasn't been that much of a campaign issue. And I mean, you, you look at the whole general election, and it has not been a campaign about social issues. Trump really isn't interested in those. Uh, I mean, he's kind of staked out conservative positions, but it's but they're positions that that he hasn't always believed in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that a lot of people think he's he he cares that much about him. But Pence is a social conservative, so you know we saw those issues brought up, and so and so I think that the last night might have might have made some Republicans feel better about about voting for the ticket. And yeah. earlier in the cycle there was a there was a report that the Trump campaign had reached out to uh to John Kasich to ask him if he wanted to be vice president. And the the thing was the deal was you will handle foreign and domestic issues. So basically like you will be acting president <laughs> and then and then the Kasich campaign was like right. what's Trump gonna do? And the response was, he's going to make America great again. So almost like oh, he's going to be kind of a figurehead. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if if that's true, you know, it's not unrealistic to believe that that Pence might have had the same offer, the same deal made. Yeah. Um, huh. and so and so I think I think Republicans could look at that and just be like, you know, I, I I'm I'm uneasy with Trump, but I think Pence is a guy that we can trust, and if he is going to be a big play a big role in the Trump administration. I feel comfortable with him. So I think I think on that point it was it was a win for uh for Republicans. Wow, it's I mean that's a really interesting point because I always thought even if Trump won the presidency, he'd be bored with it in about uh-huh. a year. So then yeah. then he can just I guess golf. I mean that was one of his top 12 things you mentioned or 10 things in one of your articles. Yeah. Um I guess Hunter when you when you look at it, I mean what's it like in the press in the media to to have a debate so filled with just silly stupid things that the candidate has said. Um I mean it's does it does th- is this campaign driving you crazy in the media? Because it's driving um, me crazy <laughs> watching it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, politics is something that I love, and I've, I've loved it my whole life. But, I mean, there, there are some weeks where it's just like, man, I get home on Friday, and I'm just like, I need to chill out and not think about politics for a while. Mm. Uh, because, I mean, it has gotten really nasty. There are, you know, it can, it can be hard to report sometimes, Um but but I mean I think this thing is at the end of the day this it's it's a it's a great campaign. I, our children, when we tell them stories about this, they're not going to believe it. <laughs> um, and I think that there's a lot of lessons that 
that the media can learn for from how to to cover politics and and just come to state of the country right now. What what have you learned about Donald Trump? I mean, you, you've 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 done some articles about some of the books he's written. In fact, we could get into one of them about the art of the comeback. Uh, and I mean, is he is he anything he claims to be? Um, I mean, he is uh, an incredible showman. He's really tapped in, which is a very important part of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really tapped into a frustration that I think a lot of people didn't know was there. Um, and I, I think I think that is that's one of the the great lessons from 2016 is just um, you know the media. It's it's based in D.C. It's based in New York, but it's so important to be tapped in. To what's happening in the rest of the country um because you know you have you know, there were reports out that's like oh the economy's better the recession's over and you know it's just things like that where, where there's a sense that maybe things are better than they really are we're out there in different parts of the country people are like the recession's not over for me um, right. you know life life has gotten better for other people but it hasn't gotten better for me and i'm afraid of my future and that's that's what trump has really tapped into for a lot of voters hmm. And it's um, it, it almost seems like too that he's there's there is a deafness almost it seems like from the Democrats to to get how big of a deal that is like even the tax thing uh, Trump not paying his taxes I the Democrats keep hitting on that but there's a certain part of America that they don't agree I guess that he's smart for doing it but it's just what everyone does yeah I I don't know if that line of attack is is going to be effective or not. Because if, if Trump can kind of say, hey, look, I was following the laws. I just paid as little as I legally could. Like, I feel like a lot of people yeah. might just agree with him. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think one one way that might continue to be an attack is if, is if Democrats are able to say, look, Trump says he's a successful businessman, but he lost nearly a billion dollars. Right. You know, I, I, I think we might see that as more of the attack line that comes out of the whole tax storyline. Man, do you um, do you sense that uh, in this weekend is Donald going to come out and pull out some of the ugly dark stuff of the Clinton past? Is he going to well, hit harder? He's, yeah, he's threatened to. I mean, he's you know he's brought up um, the Bill Clinton scandals, the impeachment, and he's kind of hinted that you know Clinton went nasty on me. I can go nasty on her. Um, but I actually talked to the Clinton campaign manager yesterday at the debate when he was talking to a group of reporters, and they don't actually think he's going to be like that. They think that the campaign has kind of talked to him and just been like, look, Donald, you have to be cool, calm, and collected, and, uh, and that that's the Trump who's going to show up. Hmm. Do, you think he'll, do you think he'll be more prepared? Um. I, I, I don't know. I know. I, I, I think I can. Yeah, I kind of look at Trump, and you you can see him going either way. I could see him. You know, I mean, he, he could look at Pence's performance, and he could kind of see the response that he got to his performance, and say, okay, how do I change this? Um, or you know, he could be incredibly unnerved and just kind of go after Clinton <laughs> and just you know be, be really upset with with everything and, and take it to her. So. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. Hard, I, 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 I stopped predicting these things. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Hunter, let's take a break. We're speaking with Hunter Schwartz. He is a national political reporter for the Independent Journal Review. We'll come back, continue the discussion 
his take on what's going on uh, with the uh, campaign, the election. We'll find out. Uh, we'll get some predictions, maybe, even though he hates to predict it. It's too hard to predict. Stick with us. More political talk right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Hunter Schwartz. He is the national political reporter and works with the Independent Journal Review as a political and Hollywood expert. He His his real uh, claim to fame, though, I guess, Hunter, is you're a graduate of BYU. I am, yeah. Class of 2012. Sweet. Journalism school. Mm-hmm. Attaboy. Yeah. And now look at you. You're in the big yeah. leagues. Now you get to go watch all the big debates and just yeah, it, it, bask it's in it. Funny because actually in the 2012 election, um, I, I was in college when it started, so I covered like Mitt Romney and John Huntsman hmm. when they had campaign stops in Utah. So it's kind of fun. After four years, I can I can travel around and do that. What do you What do you see? That the rest of us don't see when you when you get to go interview with the staff of Hillary Clinton and campaign managers. What what I mean? What do you see that surprises you that might surprise the rest of us? Uh, I mean, I, I think you just kind of see a different side to politics. Maybe a, maybe a more human side mm. when it's all on TV um, and you know you're just reading about kind of canned statements from people and and polls and things, it's hard to have that human element in there. But when you're able to see the candidates in a more relaxed environment, when you're able to talk to voters, um, I think it just, it puts the human back into politics. Yeah, because we don't see that. In fact, last night in the in the debate, I think one of the best moments for Pence, and you brought it up, was the discussion about abortion, pro-life, and really, the respect you could see that he had for Tim Kaine for having mm-hmm. a position, but then going with his party in a way. I mean, it it did make it seem very real. And, and I, I could see how, how you're saying that maybe he did pick up some of the female suburban votes there because yeah, it was very definitely. just it was very sincere. There is a sincere respect. I guess and even you know that there's a camaraderie to some degree between Hillary and Donald even. But on yeah, stage they, they, they have they, to hate they, each other. They were, yeah, she she went to his wedding. I mean, um it's yeah, politics is is a lot more human. Um and I, that's one of the things that, that we really try to capture at Independent Journal Review. We're we're a startup. We're about four years old. Hmm. Um, but it's this idea that people don't trust the media. How can we start to rebuild that trust? Yeah. Um, and a big part of that is, is just being human, like showing, showing these people as human, listening to people, not telling people what to think and letting them make up their own mind. That's a, that's a big part of, uh, of our mission. Do you sense, I mean, you're, you actually have, I think, great insight into Donald too, because, also, the Hollywood side. Do you sense this is more of the future? Are we going to see more candidates that will come from 
you know, you know, the television world, just people that already have name built in recognition? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think Kanye West a lot of times. Yeah. Kanye 2020. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I just I think there's probably people who are watching Trump and just saying, you know what, if he can do that, I can do that. Um, you know, we'll see at what level, if it's like a presidential candidate or celebrities running for mayor. Um, but I, and you know, there's even, there's even, um, there's countries where that, that's a lot more common to have tough celebrities run. And so maybe, maybe that will kind of change. Maybe Trump has changed what that, what that's like in America. Cause I, I actually, early on in the campaign, I spoke to, uh, political strategists who either worked with celebrity candidates or worked on campaigns that ran against them. Mm. And I mean, there's, you know, there, there's not many, you can kind of name all Schwarzenegger. It's all right. Um, and I asked them what kind of advice you give. And it's really interesting because the, the number one thing I heard a lot was you need to take the celebrity seriously. Cause many times people don't, they're just like, this is kind of a joke candidacy. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. And that's kind of what we saw yeah. in the Republican primary. Trump wasn't taken seriously in the beginning. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of the candidates, which they had. Oh, and the problem, I mean, because they have so much name recognition, they can immediately get ground that other candidates can't. Yeah, yeah. Every, Donald Trump had near universal name recognition. And then it's like, who's John Kasich? Oh, right. Who has all of this experience. Um, and I guess that's the thing I worry about, too, with with I mean, it's not like Trump can just study for four days or two weeks and then all of a sudden have a lot of knowledge if i mean hillary's got a built-in database now in her head of 30 plus years of this what what do you see is the difference too just between the campaigns do you see an inherent difference between the clinton campaign itself and uh the trump campaign the teams yeah i mean last night even uh in the spin room after the debate where where all the all the surrogates and supporters and campaign staff come out to talk to reporters after there was in two corners, there were um, the campaign set up these little booths. Yeah. And I just, you know, I mean, reporters, like we always like to look for symbolism and things. I felt like there was symbolism even in how the campaign set up their corners. Cause the Trump corner was, was like this TV set with cameras facing out into the background. And it was almost built like a, like a boxing ring. And then, the Clinton corner was uh, a step and repeat with stronger together written all over it. Hmm. Well lit. There was a TV camera in front. I mean, excuse me, a, a television playing uh, Clinton campaign ads on loop. And I, I just feel like it kind of captured the campaign. Interesting. I mean, Trump is very combative. It's, it's very uh, made for TV. Um, it's off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Trump, Trump is the boss in the campaign. What he, and he said this before. He's like, if you, if my campaign staff says something, you don't believe it until I say it myself. Wow. On the other hand, the Clinton campaign. I mean, it's a very professional campaign. You know, you have a lot of the top Democrats working for it. They're very on message. I mean, I, I don't think Pence used the phrase "Make America Great Again" last night, but you heard Tim Kaine say "Stronger Together" two or three times. Right. Right. Repetition. It's, repetition. It's, it's very. Yeah, it's very on message. Um. And, uh, and a very traditional campaign mm. in that sense. Where do you think this goes? Um, ever since the last debate between the two 
headliners. Uh, Trump's lost, what, three, four points, it looks like, in the polls, five points in the polls. I mean, do you think – is what, what do you predict? Um, I mean, you know, if it continues on this trajectory, um, it's Clinton's race to lose, but – but anything can happen. I mean, we, we still have five weeks left, um, and so I, I still think I still think anything can happen. I don't I don't I don't predict one or the other is going to win. And whenever I talk about, it, I say, you know, if Trump is president, if Clinton is president, yeah. what's going to happen? Because um, you really don't know. No. Do you do you expect an October surprise? It seems like so much uh, so many people from the right they're just praying for an October surprise. It's like that's all that's left here. We need yeah, we need I, something. <laughs> And it's got to I mean, be, and like, Julian Assange like had, will, will provide it. I feel like we've had several October surprises already, and so it's October what? Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that makes this campaign so unpredictable is is it's it's like you know what is one of the, what is the camp what are the camps going to say what's going to leak? Um, I mean, even you know with with Hurricane Matthew that that's that's headed towards the U.S. Hurricanes have played. Historically, it played a big role in politics. They can, the candidates' responses can shape things. Right. And there's, I mean, there's just so many things that could happen um, that there's, there's really no telling what's going to end, how, how it's going to end up. Well, I mean, Hillary could get Jello legs again, getting into her van, and yeah. then the whole thing's rebooted. Yeah, she could have a coughing fit at the next <laughs> debate. I mean, there's, there's so many things that could happen that could just completely steer, steer where this is headed. What is happening to our democracy, Hunter? This is – it's crazy. And um, I mean if, from the Romney-Obama race, is I mean it seems to me so vastly different in content, in depth. Is it different or is it just more of the same? Um, I, I think it's different. I mean, I mean it, it's heart politics is, is unchanging. I mean it's about – it's about what people feel, how they feel about the direction of their country, how they feel about about a leader, um, and and I, I think a lot of those things are still the same. But a lot of the tropes of what a politician is supposed to do, those those have kind of kind of gone out the window. Um, but but I mean, at its heart, it's it's still the same thing. It's about convincing the voters to go out and vote because they think that you are the best qualified leader out of out of everyone they have to pick. Right. Well, we appreciate you. I think uh, you've got a hard job. Uh, second only to P- Mike Pence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spinning. Yeah. I mean, because he and he did a great job, right? I mean, he he got hit and hit and hit and never really had to admit to certain things. Yeah, he did not flinch. He was he was on message. Well, you did great. Hunter, you're awesome. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work there um, at uh, Independent Journal Review. Everybody go check out Independent Journal Review as they're just starting to make a name for themselves. Also, you can find more about Hunter on his Twitter page at HunterSchwarz.com, at HunterSchwarz.com. Good stuff. It's cool. It's cool to have talent and see behind the scenes. I mean, you just always see them being silly in front. It's fun to see behind the scenes. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. (music) 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is a race. And uh, I, th- I think the weekend will make the difference. You, I think you can know fairly significantly this weekend if you can if the race is over. So I know you asked uh, Hunter this question, but which which Trump do you think is showing up? Uh, I'm going to bet the orange one with the comb over. It's probably a safe bet. <laughs> and I will bet that he will. I think he'll be a little more. He'll he'll uh, he'll turn more back to her. He'll. I think he'll actually represent much more of Tim Kaine than Mike Pence. Do you think he should just have Mike Pence stand in for him? Yeah, except it wouldn't work because Mike Pence kept saying, "Yeah, he didn't say that." But when you're the Don, you did say it, and Donald's ego's not going to be dismissed so Hmm. his best bet would probably be more to take the tim kane approach where he just turns everything back and says oh really so i had a russian deal with putin what about hillary who sold all the nuclear rights to russia or iran or whatever or he could have alec baldwin stand in for him (laughs) that would be great and by the way the alec baldwin thing works so well because alec knows ego and he probably has the matching ego of Trump. And it, it, what pulls off Trump is ego. Because it's not that Trump knows more. It's just that he thinks he knows more. No, he knows. In his mind, he knows that he knows more. <laughs> Did you happen to see um crazy story? And we'll post it on our Twitter page. Did you watch Obama on the airplane the other day waiting for Bill Clinton? No. Funniest video you'll ever see. So Bill Clinton, uh, when he was president, always known for being late. His schedule would run a half hour late all day long every day. Every day he was just always late. And so the president of the United States, Barack Obama, is standing on Air Force One by the door, and they are waiting for Bill Clinton to get there. And Bill Clinton was... um, Talking So this was after they all were on Air Force One at Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv after attending the funeral of former Israeli President Shimon Peres. And (laughs) President Clinton was down talking to like the welcoming party, the greeting party. But President Obama was on the plane ready to go. And usually when the president's on the plane... The plane goes, but he's waiting for the ex-president to come on. And you can see video of President Obama saying, come on, come on, we're going. Come on, Bill. Come on. Come on, Bill. Now, Bill, get up here. Come on. And that's the first time President Obama had immense empathy for Hillary Clinton because she's been trying to get him to do things their entire marriage. Anyway, funny video. We'll post it on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. You're not going to want to miss that fun. Um, and here's another crazy one. What Do you know the Republicans who actually endorsed Donald Trump? Chuck Norris? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
The I Wahlbergs. Mean, Hillary Clinton keeps dropping another name brand going out for her. Mrs. Clinton's or Mrs. Trump's going out or Mrs. Trump, Mrs. Obama's going out. Uh, the president's going out. The vice president's going out. All of these people are going out in um, in her behalf. These are the people that have officially endorsed Donald Trump, just a few of them. Senator Ted Cruz now has. Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, even though, you know, his father may have killed Kennedy, according to Trump. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who recently just seems like he's come unnutted, saying the craziest things about, I don't know, basically... When people bring up the defense of um, having affairs, or uh, you know, there's a problem. Uh, Giuliani said everyone has affairs. Huh. Right. Senator Marco Rubio has now endorsed him. Arizona Governor Jan Brewer has endorsed him. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Senator Rand Paul. No. Has endorsed Donald Trump for president. How about Ron Paul? Ron Paul? No. Bob Dole? Bob Dole. (laughs) Senator Jeff Sessions? There you have it. And according to Trump, Trump is always saying that he's got just a whole slew of others that are this close to endorsing him. Lots of others that... The problem is, if you notice, they're not out on the trail. They're not. They're not out on there. They're not out on the trail. So they're closet Trump fans. They're they're closeted Trump fans, and in fact, it may not be smart for some to uh, to you know support Trump. An example is Kelly Iote uh, out of New Hampshire, who's in the fight of her life for Senate. She actually said that she thinks Donald Trump is a role model. And since saying that, a few hours later, she then retracted the statement and said, I misspoke. I did not mean he's a role model. I misspoke tonight, Miss Iote said in a statement several hours later. While I would hope all of our children would aspire to be president, neither Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton have set a good example. And I wouldn't hold up either of them as role models for my kids. I heard before that explanation, she attempted to say that he was a model for roles. <laughs> because he has roles? You know, like for Rhodes roles. Oh, I love roles. He's just Bacon standing fresh. there holding mm-hmm. one of the little tins of cinnamon yeah. rolls. Yeah. And so now many are thinking Kelly Iote could lose her seat because she's in a close election. This is why a lot of people aren't jumping on the Trump wagon. That idea is just the worst. <laughs> yes, it is. So, folks, there's your political update. All the stories you need to know, some you didn't need to know, but some are pretty important. And uh, it's it's only about 30 more days. Think of it that way. Then... We can relax. In 30 days, we won't have to bring up the elections anymore. Then we'll just talk. All we're going to talk about would be food. Can I get a pinky promise on that? Pinky promise. And we'll just keep celebrating days like today's World Teachers Day. 
It's also Balloons Around the World Day. Just two great days to celebrate. That's exciting. We'll talk more about that next hour. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world and make it through this crazy political season. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's, uh, today's the day. October 5th, the day of all days, World Teachers Day. This is Teacher's Day song. The day this is the song you should play to your teacher. We'll put it up on our uh, Twitter feed, and then you can just walk into your teacher and play it. If you had time, you could learn the verses and teach your kids. It's also Balloons Around the World Day. Mm. Remember the movie Up? What a great movie. That's one of my favorite Pixar movies. I'm still trying to find enough balloons to lift my house off the ground. I'm still trying to find enough tissue paper to dry all the tears. Wow. That got serious real fast. (laughs) Balloons Around the World Day is the day we celebrate the joy and the delight that balloons bring to our lives. It marks the occasion that balloon artists from around the world will showcase the art of balloon twisting and decorating. Isn't it funny? There's all of this uh, talk about clowns coming out of the woodwork, you know, scaring children all over the country. But if you put a few balloons in a clown's hand and let him twist them into a cute little animal, no more fear of clowns. Just as long as he doesn't twist them into some kind of a weapon or (laughs) scary monster. Yeah, an axe. Got a great show for you today, folks. We will be talking about how to talk to your kids about money, especially if you have some. You know? So you're saying I don't I don't need to talk to my kids just yet. Yeah, not yet. Give it some time. You'll have money in a few years. It's uh like if you have money or a lot of money, you know, you got a big responsibility and your kids have got to learn. Interesting statistics we'll learn about um I think it's like 70% of the income of a second generation. So the first generation hands down an inheritance, uh, let's say a company, for example, 70% of the time, those kids can't keep the money going and they're in the businesses fail. The, the, um, all the money's lost by the second generation. 90% of the money is lost by third generation. Wow. So I need to get some money or you need to teach your kids how to handle money. So we'll talk about that with uh, uh, from uh, John Christiansen, founder of CEO of uh, and CEO of Highland, a boutique wealth advisory firm. Pretty cool uh, story came out of Harvard Business Review. We'll talk about that coming up. It is a generational issue, isn't it? You got to make sure your kids are ready for the next gen and the next gen and the next gen. 
we'll get into all that fun stuff, plus, uh, you know, more interesting um, stories, some of which actually you need to know. All of which. Yeah, all of which you'll need to know, including a mermaid, apparently a, a, a deceased mermaid, has washed up on the shores in the UK. Right. We'll get to that story next. But first, let's get to Sadie Nelson with the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Pope Francis made a surprise visit Tuesday to the site of the devastating August earthquake in central Italy, praying silently and alone amid the rubble in the hardest hit area of the devastated town of Amatris. The Vatican announced the Pope's visit to the quake zone in central Italy shortly after his arrival, in keeping with Francis's wish to keep the visit private. After blessing the residents, he urged them, let's move forward. There is always a future. Hurricane Matthew's strong winds pounded Cuba on Tuesday night, even as the powerful storm took its lashes at Haiti, where it downed trees, drenched the ground with feet of rain, and flooded streets. The damage was especially brutal in southern Haiti, where sustained winds of 130 miles per hour continued to punish the impoverished island. Uh, nation even as the eye of the storm crossed eastern Cuba. The extremely dangerous storm has killed at least seven people, including four in Haiti's neighbor, the Dominican Republic. Within hours of Facebook launching Marketplace, the Craigslist-esque forum has already been overrun by users selling a mix of bizarre and illegal items. In Pittsburgh, a can of beer was listed for $25. In London, someone was trying to sell his pregnant girlfriend for $400. In New York, someone listed a 6-ounce water bottle, uh, bottle not included, for $56. On Tuesday, Facebook blamed a technical issue for all the strange posts, but didn't elaborate on what the issue was, other than to say it prevented this, the review system from screening posts and it violated its commerce policy. Uh, someone said, we are working to fix the problem. We'll be closing, closely monitoring our systems to ensure we are properly identifying and removing violations before giving more people access to Marketplace. And finally, yes. this one's really good. I think you're going to appreciate this one. Eddie Sims is a 102-year-old woman with an unusual item on her to-do list, or bucket list, you could say. And thanks to some officers in St. Louis, she was able to cross that off. Sims wanted to be arrested handcuffed and placed in the back of a police cruiser the whole nine all all because she wanted to cross that off her bucket list (laughs) she was so excited that she can ride in a police car and she said do you think you could put those handcuffs on me oh wow um and then (laughs) he said a st louis county car pulled up next to the police and eddie uh she held up her hands with the handcuffs on she is just a riot that is (laughs) oh that's great you know and i just i wonder what made her want to get arrested like what what what? it's just that dark side everybody has a dark side sadie i guess that's true and it doesn't matter how old you are she sounded like she must have been like a rebel though but she never got that far into her rebel life yeah she probably has sat in her recliner watching like cops shows and thought man they live the life they live the life that's cool cool story Huh, what's on your bucket list, folks? Thank you, Sadie. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great stuff. Okay, lots of stories we really have to get to. One that I I just can't get enough of. And that sounds weird, but <sighs> let's say you're a bride, right? And uh, you're on the way to your wedding. Got it. Then you have car trouble. And the limo breaks down. Why are you taking a limo by yourself? Well, because you don't want anyone to see the bride before the wedding. And you don't want to drive with those big puff, puffy, puffy 
dresses, you know. It's a lot of dress. So it just seems strange to and depressing to take a limo by yourself. Yeah, I think her family let her down, quite honestly. So this bride's limo breaks down and she does what any good bride would do that just wants to get married. She had to hitchhike her way to her wedding. Uh, and we've sent uh, one of our great reporters, Shik Shumway, to go talk to the woman about the whole experience. Dressed in the wedding gown she inherited from her mother, Angelique Arsenault stuck out her thumb and hitchhiked to her own wedding after her bridal limo got a flat tire. Dang it. Luckily, a good Samaritan picked up Arsenault and got her to the chapel only 30 minutes late. Folks, we here at the Matt Townsend Show would normally take this opportunity to offer up a metaphor for how we all need help whenever our cars break down on the highway of life. But today, we thought we'd make a case for helping those whose cars have literally broken down. While it's generally not a good idea to pick up hitchhikers, there may be a few instances in which it's okay. Let's say you're driving on the freeway and you come across a stranded rabbi who's late to a bris. Maybe you should pick him up. Or perhaps you see a pregnant woman whose contractions are two minutes apart. Pick her up. Or like in the case of Angelique Arsenault, a bride who's late for her wedding. Please, pick her up. But be careful. Not all brides can be trusted. For instance, if the bride is wielding a knife dressed as a clown, or if she's a corpse. It's probably best to keep on driving. This message brought to you by kind but cautious drivers across America. Wow. It's great advice. Uh, Don't pick up a corpse. A bride corpse. If it's dead. Don't do that. I'm not sure if we can pick up corpses or if we can pick up brides, but we cannot pick up corpse brides. That's it. Don't pick up clown brides. Don't pick up clown brides. And don't pick up brides wielding a knife. Again, this is information you didn't even know you needed. Here's some more, by the way. If you're adding to Great Britain and you're going to the beaches there, you might want to watch out because uh, apparently... Uh, there's a bizarre story and video to boot. There is an uh, <laughs> image has now gone viral after it purportedly depicts the remains of a mermaid that washed up on a beach in Great Britain. Oh, this song's going to make me sad. I hope it's not that mermaid. The video captured by Paul Jones shows a figure of a humanoid upper torso with fins on the lower half of the body. Conspiracy theorists claim that this is an actual mermaid, while others say it's a carcass of a seal. The man who took the video, Paul Jones, is also a talented modeler, particularly of creepy figures. Is he a role modeler? (laughs) I think he's a mermaid corpse modeler. So, basically, mermaids are not as attractive as the cartoons would lead us to believe. No. Nope. That's that's sad. I really hope it's not the Little Mermaid. But when you look at the video, which we'll post on our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show, it looks like a human skull 
with a human rib cage and little flippers on the bottom. If it is her, she has not aged well, and clearly things did not go well between no. her and Prince Eric because now she was living in the sea again. Where's Prince Eric? Or maybe it was Daryl Hannah. Oh, because I in that not. movie, Tom Hanks goes and lives in the ocean with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope it's not her. Oh. <laughs> okay, uh, next important story that you need to know about. Um, a man, and again, another warning, I think, for everybody. A man uh, dashes into his house to save his laptop. Okay, the house was on fire um, and uh, in, in a rundown house in New Orleans, and it's quickly started to spread nearby um, to a multiplex on Thursday, sending residents rushing to safety. The problem is the novelist, it was his house. His work, two entire books were on his hard drive in his house. So he ran back inside to save his laptop, the three-alarm blaze was brought under control more than two hours later. 67 firefighters pumped enough water onto the structure to flood nearby streets. No injuries were reported, but Gideon Hodge, 35, described himself as a playwright, a novelist, and an actor, and he risked his life to get his life's work. He risked his life for his work. When his fiance told him that their apartment was on fire, he left work and rushed to the scene... Did That's, he go back in for his fiance? No. What about his goldfish? Nope. They Dog. boiled. Wow. When he got there, he realized that his only two copies of his completed novel were on the laptop inside, clad in a t-shirt, and I hope pants. It doesn't say that. But he ran in, dashed into the building, passed the smoke, passed the firefighters, they were yelling at him to stop, and he retrieved his precious laptop. Whew. That's great. He's a romance novelist. so Oh, he's got to put that in one of his novels. <laughs> Gideon Hodge. You'll be looking for his, uh, his books hot off the press. Fire! <laughs> Hot off the press, huh? Yep. Man, those books are going to be hot. Yeah. Burning off the shelf. Is that a phrase? We're on fire today. Smoking. I don't know what it is, Gideon, but your books are smoking. Smoking hot. <laughs> Thanks. I just saved them from the fire. Anywho, got a great show for you. Um, if you happen to have money... This next guest uh, is going to be really important. If you have kids, he'll also be important. How do you talk to your kids about money? We can go two ways with it. Whether you have a lot of money, it's super important to talk to them and be effective about it. Even if you don't have a ton of money, you still got to teach the lessons of money to your children. We're going to get in deep on this one, folks. Stick with us, helping you create healthier, happier kids. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
You know, as parents, we often do not know how to talk to our kids about money. It can be a tough topic to handle because we know that they need to understand budgeting. And they also ask the craziest questions like, Dad, so are we rich? How much how much money do you make? How much is your company worth, Dad? All these crazy questions. And then you get a little nervous. Like, am I supposed to? I don't want my kids to think we have money because then they're going to want to spend it all and they're going to talk about it with their friends. Joining us to talk about uh, how to talk to your kids about money is John Christiansen, founder and CEO of Highland, a boutique wealth advisory firm. He's here this morning to help us with all the things parents need to know and learn and teach their kids about money. He wrote a wonderful article that was in Harvard Business Review, How to Talk to Your Kids About Money When You Have a Lot of It. So we're excited to have you on here. John Christiansen, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Matt. Uh, it's really a pleasure. This is such an, I, I think, an important topic. It, it's it, and it starts just with a subtle question. It seems like sometimes kids are curious about our money, but in the end, it, it seems like as parents, we're way, we're very very afraid to to talk about it. Why is that? Well, I think uh, one of the biggest concerns that parents have is is in general just launching their kids well. And when you start bringing in the influences of money into that conversation, uh, lots of things come up that have to do with maybe our own money history, Mm. um, how money influenced our lives. And we start to look at maybe our kids through those lenses. And we get concerned because we've seen lots of uh, scenarios or heard of scenarios where Money has done things to to uh, negatively influence uh, kids, be it whether it be entitled or materialistic, or or even in some cases worse. As parents, will would impact uh, our kids' motivation or drive. Mm, so true, and and I I mean I, that's a great point that the way we were raised, how we were kind of brought up around money, we, we we may have come from a generation where you know money's one of the things you don't talk about. It's Money, sex, religion, you know, you don't bring these issues up. But it also seems like we have kids that are much more open today than we ever were. Oh, there's no no doubt. And, and to your point, there, it is one of those taboo conversations at some level. And I think you're right that when it comes up, we freeze up. And I, I think there is an opportunity there to, and what the article was, was trying to get at was there's an opportunity to communicate with our kids uh, you know, of course, age-appropriate ways mm-hmm. uh, that allow us to shape that conversation and be proactive in that conversation instead of being reactive, which in the article I mentioned, you know, my own daughter. You know, yeah. I'm not immune as a father myself, right? So I, I you know, I, I freeze up, and, and I'm in this business, for heaven's sake. So, you know, it's hard. These are hard, hard conversations, and it requires a level of, really being authentic and real to, to who you are and, and who you want to be. And it kind of starts there. Hmm. And in the, in the article, you, you talk about people, you know, how to talk about money with your kids if, if you have a lot of money. But even if you just have a moderate amount of, of income and revenue, these are conversations that will affect the rest of their lives, right? The, how they see money. 
Uh, I, I totally agree. It's interesting. One of the questions I ask uh, the clients that I work with uh, early on in our relationship is, what is your money history? What is the what is the message money was either taught to you or what lessons did you learn about money? Of course, from our parents, from our upbringing. It's a fascinating conversation. And it really, in most cases, in our case in particular, a lot of people we work with weren't uh, born into money. They're, they are what we call first-generation uh, wealth beneficiaries. They, they, this is new. They've created, a, 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 in a lot of cases, significant amounts of wealth. Uh, but they didn't learn how to do this, and yeah. their parents didn't teach them how. So it's fascinating that looking back on what, what did mom and dad share with you about money that influenced how you're going to think about it now. You brought up a really interesting statistic from Wall Street Journal's article by Missy Sullivan in 2012 about more than half of high net worth boomer parents had not fully disclosed their wealth to their offspring, while another 13 percent had completely had kept completely mum. We, I mean, a, a big percentage of high wealth uh, people don't ever apparently they're not they're not sharing any of the details. How do we know what details we should share and and what we shouldn't? Well, one of the things I think is an is an easy place to start is just start to share what are your values. Um, what what kind of values do you have around money? Um, and and not not the negative ones, of course. Yeah. But what are the positive ones you want to you want to share with your kids and and, um, and and the beliefs you have about money? Um, and I, I think that can be everything from talking about budgets. Uh, it can be talking about saving. It can be talking about generosity and, and volunteering. It could it could be talking about debt. Um, uh, and I even mentioned the idea of, of small business or entrepreneurialism. So, I mean, there's lots of ways to say, here's what I or we as parents um, believe is important and what we want to start um, sharing with you as, as kids, depending on where you are in that development stage. Yeah, I think that's it's so important. I mean, you can't go wrong with the values, I, mean, I guess, unless your values are totally backwards. But the values discussion <laughs> is the beginning, right? It's how it's going to be the it's going to be the baseline of how we make all of our decisions. Yeah, you know, I think, it, and what we're where I think we struggle as parents uh, is, and from my own experience, is that it takes a, a certain amount of introspection to get clear on what those things are. Mm. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's where it starts. And, and then I think the second part of that that's real important is to set really clear expectations about as you're communicating this, whatever you want to communicate around your values, what is the support? What is the expectation that, um, your kids can expect? Uh, and, and I think that can be everything from allowances to cars to college and, Kind of where is that financial safety net? If you can start to define the playing field, so to speak, okay, now I know where the boundaries are if I'm, if I'm a child. I know where the boundaries are, and I know what I'm responsible for. And so now I've got both my parents' values and the playing field defined for me at some level, mm. and I know now maybe a little bit better what I'm responsible for. Yeah. And you you said earlier, like age appropriate. I mean, my kids, 
just the other day, um, one of them hadn't practiced his guitar and we're sending him to expensive lessons and a financial discussion came up. Like, we're paying money for you to do this. Are you going to take it seriously? I mean, it seemed like the perfect time to have a discussion of not just about, you know, guitar, but about money. This is costing money. You know, do you want to do – would you keep doing guitar if we weren't paying for it, if you had to pay for it? I mean, I guess the discussion can come when they're opening up the discussion. Well, exactly. I think there's plenty of opportunities to discuss the the concepts that, that both time and and money aren't, are not limitless resources. Mm. And, and I think that what I've seen is clients taking, for example – using opportunities either in those conversations or even taking uh, uh, their kids on experiences that reinforce uh, the value that they're trying to uh, transfer to their kids. So uh, one of my clients really wanted to teach this concept a little bit around uh, how they, they had wanted to transfer wealth and how they wanted their kids to view that and actually took a trip with their kids in coach, went and stayed in Airbnbs and, and had an amazing experience. But part of the experience was to, to share this value of great world experiences in a way that wasn't four-star hotels. That was really important to her. Mm. And, and so I thought that was interesting uh, that she was actively looking for opportunities to pass on and to share what she thought was important about life and money to her child. What a great example. I mean, because we've all walked through a first-class section thinking, wow, how would it be to just sit there with your family and go on these great trips? But um, I guess part of that is she was modeling her own values, right? That she wanted to make sure, even though her children had the right, had the stuff, had the gifts, the blessings, that they they didn't just take them for granted. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely. Now, I'm not sure I'd want to couch surf with with my my oldest. But, <laughs> right. You know, the, you know, to each his own there a little yeah. bit. But I think the the you know the message is is the important thing. That's beautiful. Is what what do you foresee as somebody um, that that deals with the the finances and retirements of so many people? What what's the downside to not having these conversations? What if we don't have the talks about money with our kids? Well, I think what what you end up uh, with is, and I think the studies will show, is that the uh, and have shown is that, and even in my own experience in working with uh, the children uh, who've come out with uh, maybe the lack of clarity in some of these areas is the, the idea that you, you leave them ill-prepared. Mm. And, and so what happens is that money becomes an incredible magnifier. So whatever was there before the money showed up uh, doesn't get better just because, because money shows up and somehow it makes everything all better and go away. To the contrary, money actually amplifies the values and the behavior patterns that were there in most cases before the money got there. And so if you, if you really aren't clear about some of these areas around values, around wealth, uh, if you don't know how to budget and save, 
if you don't know how to use uh, and steward uh, money in a way that's beneficial for yourself and for society, uh, it, it becomes much, much more difficult to learn those things uh, on your own. Uh, there's, it, it, you're just at a disadvantage, and in some cases it can be detrimental to your launching into society successfully. Yeah, it's... Um... I love the term magnifier. It takes every other little idiosyncrasy, every other little issue you have and just, I guess, makes it worse or makes it better, depending on what, you, what you're working with. Yeah, it does. And I don't think people, I think a lot of times people tend to think, oh, if I just had a gob of money somehow, yeah. you know, my problems will go away. Um, and in my experience, that's just not true. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, you, you, it, see, <laughs> you see it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just not true. Uh, I, I actually uh, did a, a fair bit of research uh, recently by interviewing uh, quite a number of, of high net worth, first generation high net worth individuals about their life and their money and the influences of it uh, on a number of things. And it was very clear to me that it just does not, it provides some level of freedom and choice, but it just does not take away some of the basic things like worry and, and they, they worry just like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, they're afraid of what's going to happen to their kids just like everybody else. Uh, and in some cases, it actually makes it worse. Mm, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's so good to hear that, John. Let's take a break. We're speaking with John Christiansen um, from Highland, uh, which is a uh, it's a it's a money, I guess, management company, an organization that helps you in your retirement, helps you to understand and and helps you secure your assets, manage your money. It's a wealth advisory firm is what they're calling it. And a great resource. John Christiansen joins us talking to us about how to talk with your kids about money, especially if you have a lot of it or just some of it even, just instilling instilling the, uh, the the basic values about money. Handing down something more than money, something money can't buy, your value system. Stick with us. We'll continue the discussion after the break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. The best things in life are free. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. So true. The best things in life are free. But what do you do if you've got money? How do you teach your kids to not be raised and and become spoiled and uh, assuming that they should have anything they want? Well, joining us on the phone is John Christiansen. He is... um, the CEO of uh, the organization called Highland. It's uh, you can find it at HighlandPrivate.com. It is basically it's it it's designed to help people um, manage their money, and it's a wealth advisory firm. But it's a wealth advisory firm. It seems like John with with more than just a bunch of accountants and number kind of crunchers. It's it's also about creating um, a better life and and having a better life. It absolutely. I, I, it's got to be about more than just the money. And the reality of it is, is that the money influences really a lot of, if not all aspects of our life. And so it's the interplay of somebody's life and their money 
towards something that I like to refer to as flourishing, but it's really that, that concept that am I leading a life fully lived? Am, am, I, am, am I got a sense of, of not only purpose, but the outcome are the kinds of outcomes that bring me true joy, abundance in my life. Uh, it's, it's, it's about more than just uh, how your money's invested. Those things work very closely together. Mm. You bring up in your article um, in the Harvard Business Review, again, the article's called, titled How to Talk Money with Your Kids When You Have a Lot of It. You, you talk about the importance of transparency about wealth. Talk to us. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by transparency about wealth? Well, I think it's it's really about how much you're going to share with your kids is is really what transparency is about. It's vulnerability, as, as Brandy Brown and others talk about. Um, if you read any on that subject, yeah. but it, it, it it's really about bringing uh, some level of vulnerability, authenticity uh, to your kids about life and and about uh, it can be anything uh, similar to just your own career. Um, how has work played into your life? Uh, what has worked well? What hasn't worked well? How, how it, so those are the kinds of things that I think as kids, we all look at our parents and kind of wondered in some cases, you know, we have maybe a grandiose idea of what our parents are able to be and do Superman kind of stuff. And the reality of it is now as parents, we realize that's just not true. Uh, but there's there's a disconnect there in communication, and if we are transparent with our kids at a level that's appropriate for them, especially as it relates to money, that there are challenges. There there are things that are are good, and there are things that are difficult. It seems like um, it's a great that transparency is a great opportunity because there there seems to be an exchange between many times money and like family time. And or and so sometimes you you may be sitting there with wealthy parents who also really struggled being there for you, and so it's almost like there might be weird feelings about the money and about what our values are and what we care about, which is why being transparent about how we got there and how fragile this is and life is and mistakes we may have made it, it's a perfect opportunity to bring it up. Well, and I think it it is, but I think it also requires us sometimes to to admit or share with our kids that you know we made mistakes. Yeah, and yeah. and maybe you know in hindsight we would have done things differently. Um, and so, uh, kind of back to what we were talking about in that money history a while back, it was you know that's the reason why a lot of the money history conversations aren't positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of negatives passed on, whether it's workaholism or whatever that uh, people take. And sometimes that's good. I've learned that I've got to work hard. I have a work ethic. Um, that's the positive. The negative might be, as you've laid out, you know, dad or mom was never around. Yeah. And, so, you know, I've got to deal with both of those. And, and that vulnerable feeling, I mean, because a lot of it about money, too, seems to be fear-based, where we're, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be like my parents and, and have the failure of not getting you the best, so I I had to ignore you to go make the money. I mean, it's, it's a, I think it's like vulnerable, like you're saying. It's such a vulnerable conversation, but man, it could be very healing and, and really set 
your next generation up. Why do you think it is that second generation businesses don't succeed as well? Um, I think I read the statistic, 70 percent of them of the businesses or the or the the empires are kind of disintegrating in the second generation, 90 percent by the third generation. Why doesn't it why doesn't it trickle down? Well, it, it, it's just one of those things where you you said early on, you know, whether you have money or not, what can you learn about this? And I think you can learn a lot by watching people who have significant wealth. And so what that statistic says to people simply is that if you've got a whole bunch of wealth, there's a high, high probability, uh, and the studies prove this, that after the third generation, most of that wealth is gone. Mm. So the why question is, why is that? Well, there's a number of reasons. One is that you haven't communicated and prepared the next generation very well. Uh, and the second reason is, is that each, uh, there, each uh, new generation comes in or each individual within that generation comes in with its own thoughts and ideas <clears throat> about what to do. And in a lot of cases, that's around spending and it's not around regenerating the wealth. Hmm. And so you leave the next generation kind of in a dependent state instead of where the first generation was, which was about building. And so then the base of people consuming from that original wealth generating event continues to increase and it just cannot support it. So there's a there's a number of kind of logical dynamics, but it all starts with the idea that uh, you've got to find a way to instill meaningful work into the lives of your kids, not only just for support, I, I need to support myself, I need to be able to financially take care of myself, but, but it also brings a level of, of uh, uh, life purpose and, yeah. and passion that is so critical to, to life fully lived. And meaningful work, I guess that's, that's part of it. Do you, do you see with your clients, I mean, and, and what counsel do you give about uh, chores for the kids and job charts? I mean, it's so – my kids go out and mow the lawn every day, and I could imagine if I had a lot of money, it would be so much easier on me and my wife and everybody to just hire someone to do it. What, uh, what advice do you give, and, and how do you sense that you can help your kids, A, learn to work, but B, find it meaningful? And find the meaning, good yeah. meaning and passion in work. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I, I did lawns and all that. And I'm not sure I ever looked back and went, hey, Dad, thanks. You <laughs> yeah, know, thanks, Mom, Dad. I, I, that was amazing. A lot. That was amazing. It, it, but the value that I think you're trying to get across is this idea of kind of, it's character building. It creates a sense of, of I can take care of myself. I can create uh, resources for myself that can be used in a number of ways, one to take care of myself, another to take care of others potentially. So I've, I've got the ability to start to learn some of these things that aren't always about passion and purpose. Where passion and purpose and, and gifting come into play is starting to align who you are uniquely, who your children are uniquely, to uh, work that fits that and brings meaning and purpose. And some of that can start by, by both asking them questions. One of the things I mentioned in the article is part of that authentic conversation is just asking kids, you know, what does bring happiness and joy to you? Uh, you know, we observe our, our kids as parents, and a lot of times we have ideas for that. But, but what if we spent more time asking them questions about what do you think the values are to our family? What are the values you're watching me as, as we all know, kids 
do what we do, not what we say. So what, what values about money and life and work are you getting from me? And I have a chance now to talk to you about some of those things. But, yeah. but I see clients uh, strongly uh, moving their kids into working behaviors, whether it's chores at a younger age or summer jobs as they start getting into middle and high school years, uh, to, to reinforce the concept of motivation. The last thing they want is their kids in a place of financial dependence and not able to kind of have the, uh, the, the chutzpah to kind of go and, and, and build and do and support themselves the way they did. Mm-hmm. And, and they're concerned about how do you transfer that to them because their life is so much easier and simpler than mine is. Yeah, and and so that's where the concern starts. I really enjoyed um, just as we wrap this up the the stewardship mindset that you teach. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe just talk about that a little bit. Be, this 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 really this responsibility, the stewardship that money brings us to give back. Um, how how what is that mindset? How do you teach that? I think it's it's what I love is the concept of a generosity muscle. And it, it, it really is something that even as parents, we have to learn to, to use. We have to build it. We have to exercise it. Um, and uh, when you have significant wealth, it, it, what you, it, kind of what we said earlier, if that doesn't bring happiness and joy in and of itself, giving does in a lot of cases. A generosity can bring some of those things, and it's proven um, that people that are generous – you know, have you ever met a, an unhappy, generous person? I mean, it's just really hard to find. Yeah. And so it, it's teaching your kids how to do that in age-appropriate ways um, as you're raising them. That's good stuff. John Christiansen, thank you so much, and thank you for the great uh, insights. Everybody, go look at the website, highlandprivate.com. He's got a wonderful blog on there with article after article from his team about how to uh, to just live that life he's talking about, that meaningful life fully lived and uh, how to hand that down as a value to your children powerful powerful stuff we will take a break come back when we come back we'll be talking about the impact that uh, we have in the united states how others in the world think about us a little tangent from liana tan stick with us this is the matt townsend show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we, uh, we're we a great country. The problem is uh, other countries may not always have that exact same view of us. So our own Leanna Tan has put together a little piece uh, to talk about what other countries think of us, especially Germany. If you've ever been to another country, you know that usually people can pick out an American from a mile away. Excuse me, Americans! <gasps> how did you know? No matter how hard you try to blend in with the crowd, somehow people always know. America is the third largest country geographically in the world, and everyone seems to know about us. But I started to wonder, are we as aware of other countries as they are of us? And do people outside of the U.S. have the right ideas about Americans? People might get the wrong idea about you. What do people outside of the U.S. really think about us? I decided to find the answers and brought in my friend Sabrina straight out of Germany. Ask your mate, trust my shit, over 
Hello everyone, I'm from Germany. My name is Sabrina Zink. I love America. I just want to know, what was your first impression of America? Everything's super big. The roads, the cars, the drinks are huge. You're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. Everything is just like in the movies. All that team spirit and everyone's so excited and, and your little mascot. We're Team USA, gathered from all across America. And we're going to stick together. So what are some things that surprised you about America or the culture here? That you don't separate waste, because in Germany we separate pretty much everything. Garbage, which had been stacked for centuries with no plan whatsoever, leading to the great garbage avalanche of 2005. Not only with the trash, but also with like driving with the car just anywhere, even though it's just like five minutes away. I can't believe I have to drive all the way to work on a Saturday. What is your impression of an American accent? It's really lazy and really like wah, 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 like that. That's what it sounds like to me. Because <laughs> you you know you just speak like really in the back of your throat. You know, okay, how do I speak with the front of my throat? Hello, <laughs> hello. I feel like I open my mouth wider. Uh huh. Young fella, if you're looking for trouble, I'll accommodate you. Where do you speak from in German? I use my whole mouth. You know. Oh, I will practice using my entire mouth. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions that people outside of America have about America. So what do your friends think about Americans? That Americans eat a ton of meat. Americans are fat. They only eat fast food. They're also really into sport. I think we sometimes think that Americans don't really care about the rest of the world and don't really know anything about the rest of the world. Do you think that America should be bombing Saskatchewan? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely? Yeah. That's what they're going to have to do. That's what they're going to have to do. The world is mine. Well, I know a little bit about Germany, so I just have a few questions I want to ask you to test my preconceived notions of Germany. While you're in America, have you been to the hot dog restaurant Wiener Schnitzel? Why is it a hot dog restaurant that's called Wiener Schnitzel? But hot dog is not a Wiener Schnitzel. I'm confused. Okay. What's a Wiener Schnitzel? A Wiener Schnitzel. It's like a piece of turkey wrapped up in this mixture of eggs and breadcrumbs, and then it's fried. Really? Look what they serve. Hot dogs, burgers, sandwiches, fries, ice cream, and their mascot is a little hot dog. That is the weirdest thing. <laughs> Definitely not a hot dog and not a burger. I've been lied to my entire life. This is where Germany and America unite. You and I in a little toy shop Buy a bag of balloons with the money we've got Are there a lot of Volkswagen Beetles in Germany? We have a lot of Volkswagen and their Beetles, yeah. Have you ever played the slug bug game? Slug bug? It's part of the game. Anytime you see a bug go by, you yell, slug bug, and punch someone in the arm. Slug bug! Ow! Never heard of that before. Well... I have just introduced you to a very important piece of American culture. 
What is your opinion on Arnold Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. I think his English super weird. I treasure the liberty and opportunity that I found in this country. And he's German too. <laughs> is he a good representation of Germans? No. He's not, a, he's not even German. Is he, is he Austrian? I think so. Austria! <laughs> well then, <laughs> good day, mate. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Uh, you're right. We are very naive when it comes to knowing about other countries. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Well, okay, one thing. But I get the feeling when Americans think about Germany, it's like this fat kid with like, you know what a lederhose is? Oh, lunch lady, please do have another sloppy jimbo. That's a school right? And they, and they drink beer and eat pretzels and, and weisswurst. And that is like not the German, you know, thing. People usually don't wear lederhose, and so just to make that clear, we wear normal clothes and we don't drink beer all the time. Wow. Thank you. I feel enlightened. Well, I think we've bridged the gap between here and Germany. Just like there's more to Americans than fast food and football, and there's more to Germans than classic cars and breaded turkey dishes, there's a lot more to the people and world around you than you may think. So maybe it's time to work on understanding the world around us a bit more and realize that people are more complex than the labels we may stick on them. I'm going to go work on speaking with my entire mouth and find myself a real wiener schnitzel. I'm Leanna Tam, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Man, have we learned a lot. If you haven't, if you missed the first two hours, go back, look us up, iTunes, on Stitcher, tune in, byuradio.org, go to the matttownsendshow.com page. I'm telling you, there's so many ways to get the information you need. We've talked about how to talk to your kids about money. We talked um, about the political race. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of stuff. We've covered it all. We've covered everything you can cover. <sighs> but we still have an hour of things yet to cover. Today, by the way, we are also celebrating the very, impor- very important day of World Teachers Day. La, 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 I love my teacher. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love their teacher? La, la, la. Uh, I don't know. My kids, we just had parent-teacher conference, and it was pretty traumatic. There are some teachers that I didn't love. Really? Yeah. Do you want to name names? No. Good control. Well done. Well done. It's also, by the way, Balloons Around the World Day. Red, red balloon floating in the sky. Yep. Blue, blue balloon. I think he does just go through all the different colors. I wonder if there's a white. Oh, there it is. There's a white balloon. There can't be any more, though. Nah. Let's see. I'm going to go with green. No. Hey. (laughs) Two for two. The neat thing about this is it's two two minutes long. But that's it. Oh. Okay. 20 million views on the balloon song. The balloon song. The balloon song. I don't even think he's pronouncing that right. It's a balloon. We, <laughs> we're celebrating Balloons Around the World Day. So, you know, 
If you're down, if you're bummed, if you're frustrated with a teacher as you celebrate World Teachers Day, if you're not into other celebrations like Pumpkin Seed Day, did you ever right. – when, when you would carve your pumpkins, did you scoop out all the pumpkin seeds and then dry them and put salt on them? We always scoop them out with the intention of saving them like, oh, we could do so yeah. many great things we with could this. do something. And then they just end up in the trash. My mom would dry them out. We'd put salt on them and then – we were supposed to eat them like they were yummy. Like and, they were saltwater taffy or something. Yeah, and I'd, I'd try, but they're so high in fiber, our bodies couldn't take it. We were like backed up for years, always after Halloween. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Thank you. We've got um, a lot to talk about today. Uh, our good friend, Brian Willoughby, will be coming in. He, In fact, he was just here, the poor guy. We're putting him to work so much. He's a professor here at Brigham Young University in the School of Family Life. In fact, my son just took a class with him, thought he's fantastic. And he will be here to talk about what do you do when, you're, when you don't necessarily like the person, your children, that, that they're dating. Uh, what do you, if you don't like who they're dating? That's when you get your gun out. It's problematic. And what should you do if you're, you know, if your parents don't like your wife or your, you know, your girlfriend or whatever? It's problematic. You've got to fix it. You move to Hawaii. You, you leave. So Brian Willoughby will he- be here to talk to us about that. Also, of course, we'll be visiting with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour, plus a hero of the day. And then other stories we, we will be getting to, including um, a guy that was handcuffed. And still got away in the police car. Come on! Who was the officer? I don't know. We're going to have to... I mean, it's someone's going to be in trouble. And what about a guy that didn't get hired for a job, went through the job interview, didn't get hired, and then he just turned into just crazy f- threatening man that kept threatening the guy that did get the job? <laughs> Which reminds me how you got your job, Jeff. Yeah, what was the name of that other guy? I can't even oh, remember anymore. I know, like, you don't know. You were caught at his house looking in his window. Do you remember that? Yeah, I was holding a boombox high <laughs> above my head, playing this sound. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I, I keep hearing the psycho sound. Crazy. Uh, we will get to all of that fun, plus the hero of the day. But first... Let's get to our uh, news headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on? Federal safety regulators are investigating whether to greatly expand a recall of Ford F-150s for brake failure. At least 25 owners of model year 2015 and 2016 Ford F-150 trucks have reported sudden brake failures. The investigation follows a recall for the same problem announced last May of model year 2013 and 2014 F-150 pickups. The trucks involved in this new investigation have that same engine. Ford Motor Company has not yet responded to request for a comment. Google unveiled a new phone on Tuesday and took a couple digs at chief rival Apple. At a press event in San Francisco, Google announced the Pixel, a phone that is billed as the first ever made by Google inside and out. Google touted the device's superior camera, a built-in A1A-powered personal assistant, unlimited photo storage, and a feature now absent from Apple's newest phones, a 3.5-millimeter headphone jack. While Google's executive did not mention Apple by name, the phone strategy is clearly modeled off Apple's success in designing its own hardware. 
actor Ben Stiller revealed on Tuesday he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2014. The tumor was surgically removed three months later in September 2014, and Stiller has been cancer-free since. According to Stiller, it is the prostate-specific antigen test, a blood test known as the PSA, that saved his life. He was tested and treated in his 40s. But the American Cancer Society recommends testing start at age 50 for men such as Stiller who are at average risk of prostate cancer. And finally, yes. Matt, do you like Harry Potter? Uh, yeah. Have yeah. A, I'm not sure if I finished the whole series. Oh, shame! But on I, you. I like him. Okay, as long as you have an appreciation for him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, coming up in October, the week of October 13th, Warner Bros. Studio has announced it is going to release Harry Potter films, all of them, in the theater at once. Oh, wow! Um, in order to celebrate the upcoming movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, based on the J.K. Rowling book. Mm. Um, it'll be digitally, all of them, all the movies will be digitally remastered and will be shown in an IMAX 2D theater. Wow. And if you're lucky enough to live in Los Angeles or London, there will be cast members that will show up <laughs> there. And so you can meet and greet them. And this marks the first time all of the Potter films will be shown at the same time in U.S. theaters. That could be wow. really cool. It could be. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I thought that was a Donald Trump book. Yeah, I think it's his fourth book. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Fantastic Beasts. By the way, have you seen the trailers to that? That looks really good. Or the previews? I would really like to hear that actually. That's a... uh, We should get that. It's a really good book. Hmm. And a really good movie. By the way, Warner Bros. Great, great... uh, What do we call them? Um... Production studio? Yeah, studio. The Warner Bros. Thanks, Sadie. You did it again. You killed it. Nailed it. We've got a uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So let's start here. Indiana police say a man that they arrested on a robbery warrant made off with a city police car despite being handcuffed behind his back. How, you ask? Who knows? He then rammed another squad car while being rearrested. City police said officers recovering a stolen vehicle at about 9.30 a.m. recognized Cody Tryon, 28, and arrested him on an outstanding warrant for robbery. They handcuffed Tryon behind his back, put him in the rear of a patrol car, and while the officers were securing the stolen vehicle... Tryon kicked out the metal screen that separates the inside from the front of the patrol car in the back, slid through the opening, and drove away with the police car. Using GPS, police tracked the car to an address a few miles away. When police spotted their missing car and tried to block it in with patrol cars, Tryon uh, rammed several squad cars before being retaken into custody. He's a wascally wabbit! Now, how did he drive a car where his hand's still behind his back? Well, you know what? He probably could dislocate a shoulder, you know, like the great Houdini. Or Mel Gibson. Or Mel Gibson. And just, and then just slip the cuffs under his legs and boom, he's driving. I would have loved to have seen video of that. Now, and if I'm a betting man, there were probably keys to the cuffs in the car. So if he could just get away, then he could find keys to the cuffs. Then bada boom, bada bing. Mr. Tryon didn't have to try very hard. Nice. Thank you. And the cops, uh, as if police aren't having a hard enough time, now people are breaking through their little screens. Please. I would have loved to have 
heard the audio from that police officer. Listen to this. Oh, this... dang it. <laughs> now, Jerry, did you leave that car running? Oddly enough, when Tryon was detained the second time, police said his hands were still restrained behind his back. He must have driven with his knees. So he was smart enough to drive away in the car, but he couldn't couldn't he, get the key. So he obviously doesn't have a dislocating shoulder. That's Too bad disappointing. Too bad for you. Were there bite marks on the steering wheel, you ask? Yes. That's how he cornered. Maybe it was a self-driving car. Oh. Siri, take me to... That would be so great. Someday. I'm looking forward to the self-driving car. So I, that when you're handcuffed, you can yeah. make a quick getaway? Seriously. I, I really am. I'm going to have a self-driving car, and then that will give me another hour of sleep every day. I must have a sleep problem. Because that's all I seem to be talking about lately. Indiana man accused of harassing another man that was hired instead of him. And he's been mailing in mailing this guy uh, dead animals. An Indiana man has been arrested after... <laughs> it's not like you found a horse head in your bed, for heaven's sakes. That's a scene from The Godfather. Uh, An Indiana man has been arrested after allegedly stalking and intimidating a couple because he was not hired as a fourth grade teacher and basketball coach at the local school. I wonder why. He should. It sounds like he should be the biology teacher. Um, According to court documents, Travis Terrence, 40, was uh, had begun harassing the man chosen for the position at the school in French Lick and his fiance. um French Lick? Yeah, French Lick, which is the uh, – there's a – I'm pretty sure this is a really – oh, no. Because there is a – there's a show on TLC where the guy drives drives a towing truck. I thought it was from French Lick. No, that's called Lizard Lick. Sorry. Hmm. That's a different show. Um, yeah, French Lick, Indiana, I guess. Authorities say Terrence attempted to mail packages filled with dead animals, including four skunks and a raccoon. One of the packages intercepted at the post office contained a dead raccoon and a message that said, resign. It will not stop. Wouldn't you be curious to see what was coming next, though? Yes. Wouldn't you let it play out just a little longer? (laughs) I don't know. Do you let this play out a little longer? This guy may not be all there. Apparently, Terrence also made threatening phone calls and spray painted the victim's car. Did he use Wilson Stevens paint? He should have. If he's been listening to the show, one of our great sponsors, Wilson Stevens paint. The paint that is environmentally sound if you want to paint animals or people's cars or houses. I'm guessing that's not too much of a concern for him, though. Yeah. We do have some advice as the relationship coach and life coach that I am for Travis. Mr. Travis Terrence, very simple lesson that you could learn. And get a life. You're not now fit to be a teacher and a coach to fourth graders. Once you've mailed, I don't know. Let's just make a rule for everybody out there. Once you have mailed dead animals to someone and send a threatening letter that says resign, it will not stop. 
Didn't you guys ask me that question during my interview here? Well, yeah, that was the have you mailed any. I don't dead know why animals? Don asked you that, but that was one of the first questions they asked you. So now I understand. Yeah. We always want to make sure that our team they're not into mailing dead animals. Just let it go. Come on, man. Come on. It's just a job. It's just a job. Nobody needs to get hurt here. So uh, again, in the news, that's that's. That's all you probably need to know. And some of that you didn't even need to know. But we like to do it because it makes you feel better. You either laugh or you're like, at least I'm not living with a guy chasing me. Or in French lick. (laughs) We. We lick. We'll take a break. When we come back, our good friend, uh, Dr. Brian Willoughby, will be joining us. We're talking about uh, love and how you're supposed to handle it when the people you love don't love the person you love. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio. Good friend of the show, Dr. Brian Willoughby, assistant professor in the School of Relate. Of uh, at uh, Family Life at BYU, and um, he's also a director. Oh, he's director of the Relate Institute, assistant professor in the School of Family Life. But I, I've been going over your site for weeks now, Brian. Um, Brian is a very busy professor, expert in you know marriage formation, cohabitation, dating, marital attitudes, sexuality, and ruggedly good looking and incredible shape. <laughs> You know, my wife talks about when I come on your show, she's like, every time you're on, Matt keeps talking about how good looking you are. You're, you are. Because I found out you're a red hot chili pepper. Well, yeah. That's a band. It is. Red hot chili pepper. Yeah. You're dating yourself a little I bit. Totally, I they're still, they're still they're making still music. They're still hot. Yeah. But um, here's the deal. I, and you bring up one of the best issues ever. What happens when parents don't like who their kids are dating? Right. Which it's, never happens. Happens regularly yeah. if they date. Right. See, my, my issue is more like I got to get my kids dating. But what do you do? Because this is important, right? Or is right. it? Do, does it matter if – really, does it matter if parents are on board? It does. Okay. Yeah. It matters in terms of what we call social support, yeah. which we know is really important in relationships that when we have a relationship, we need all the resources we can oh. get. Yeah. Right. We we need we need help. We need advice. We need counsel sometimes. And so we we turn to our social network. To get that. Yeah. And that could be friends. It could be family. And family is one of the most important social resources we have. Right. We go to mom and dad, particularly for young couples when we talk about marriage, is it's not just advice and counsel anymore. A lot of times it's financial support. Mm. It's support for getting education. Like modeling. Modeling. Yeah. It's, it's a really critical place. And so when parents don't approve of who we're dating or who we're married to, sometimes we lose some of those resources. Yeah. And you need – you, it's almost like you need more eyes on the prize, right? I mean, and if you can trust right. your parents' eyes, but if they come out inherently against, mm-hmm. then it creates this schism. Good. Yes. There's there's conflict yeah, because yeah. now do I trust my own judgment about this person mm-hmm. or do I trust my parents' judgment and, and how do I reconcile? Mm. And they're different. at this age anyway where they might want to be – Independent, and you don't even know her mom. Right. Yeah, they might be independent. They might be wanting to just rebel right. against mom and dad. Yeah. Right. So as soon as mom and dad says, "Hey, I don't like 
that guy or that girl. Right. Oh, great. That's that's making <laughs> so them even more true. attractive to me now. It's and it's easy to just kind of, you know, th- not worry about it. It doesn't matter. But you're eventually going to you could marry these people. Right. Yeah. And it, it actually what can happen sometimes is when you're dating someone, it feels easy to ignore. OK, mom and dad have, have yeah. told me it doesn't matter, you know. But once you're married, it starts to really matter oh. because now it's not just about that approval. But it's about intersecting that person into my life, into my extended family, because now they're in-laws, they're family. We have to negotiate holidays now oh. and birthdays, and and the decisions that my parents make affect my spouse, yeah, too. And so now we have to negotiate all that. And if we start with this place <laughs> of you didn't like that person to begin with, those negotiations and that transition can become really hard. Well, I've I've been to weddings where there was discontent. I've been I've worked with families after to have discussions for how we can heal this. I mean, it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. In fact, what I what I tell all of my students is for a lot of newlyweds, their first major conflict is around it's, holidays. It's totally true. Right? Because it's around the in-laws. It's yeah. now we have to negotiate whose house we're we going to for Christmas. How are we going to negotiate these rituals between the two of us? And, and how do we manage these emotions? Where do you live? Right. And do you have children? And do the children go visit grandma and grandpa? Yeah. And it's hard to negotiate all those things. Oh. And, and the approval then kind of adds one more layer of complexity to it. Well, and so as a parent, what am I supposed to do? Because I really may not know the person very well, but I may not like what you're turning into with them. Right. Like you're certainly, wow, you're staying out later. Yeah. We used to always have you home by 11. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like so many other things with parenting, this is one of those things where one of the biggest mistakes parents make is they, they don't start having the conversation Till they don't like something. True. Right? You've, oh, you've dated all these people and I've liked them all. So I haven't had to say anything to you. We haven't had, had any convers- right. conversations about my opinion or, or any feedback I have. But I don't like this one. So now we're going to sit down and now we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And so for the for the person, the, the child, that feels very reactive. It feels like you were never there for all these successes I've had. And now you want to be here just to tell me what not to do. And so it's oh. got to be something that oftentimes even from a very early age, even pre- pre-dating, um, the actual dating phase, is I need to have conversations with my kids about what does marriage mean? What do relationships mean? What do I feel like a healthy relationship should look like? And hopefully I'm modeling that for them. But if if we have a relationship where I've been talking to you about relationships for your whole life, mm. now my feedback hopefully means a little bit more than just, well, I don't like this one. Person. Oh, yeah. we. It's a, I'm at a weird stage. I have one child married and I have uh, one or two that are dating someday and but it's a i don't know what to say like because the who they marry could seriously because one's so i have a daughter and five boys so when my first boy finds someone they will be the senior female addition to the family and uh, and it's gonna it's gonna change dynamics do i how do i coach them and should I? I mean, it's a lot of pressure to get married anyway. It's a lot of pressure to find someone, let alone one that has to mesh with an entire family unit. Yeah. What, one of the other challenges of this whole discussion for both the parents and the children, and this is another thing I tell people a lot, is that as soon as someone gets married, the most important relationship is that marriage. Bingo. It's yeah. not the parent-child relationship right. anymore. And so it's Done. easy for parents to say, like you just said, yeah. well, wait a minute. This is changing my family dynamic. Yeah. And it's changing the dynamic for all my kids, which it might do. Right. But when you're making decisions about, you know, who do you visit and how do you manage your time, the priority has to always be on that couple. 
And whatever's best for them is now best for the rest of the family, even if it's not something you like. If they're happy, if they're healthy, if yep. they're doing what's good for them, exactly. I have to adapt. Exactly. Yeah. That's, and I think that's such an important point. Even when we think about this, um, it's their life. It's their choice in the end. I, and if there's a problem with between me and my in-law, was it you that brought this up um, before? That usually means the problem is with my son, my my child. So if whenever I see an in-law, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law problem, it's usually the husband that mm-hmm. is the only one that can fix it and is probably not choosing his loyalty right. Right. Yeah. And it's it's I get I get young couples all the time or young people come to me all the time and say, I'm having this conflict in my marriage because my in-law or my mm-hmm. parents want us to do this and my spouse doesn't want me to do this. How do I make that decision? And I tell them, your marriage should be most important. Yeah. And that might make your parents mad. It might right. make your in-laws mad. But in the long, long scheme of things, you want that marriage to be healthy. Mm-hmm. It's a new unit. It's a, And it's got to survive and be strong. Yeah. And it's the most vulnerable one, yeah. too, because usually these are couples that you know have been together for a couple of years. You've been with your parents. You have decades right. <laughs> of experience with them. You know, right. I always tell these, these are what we call fixed family relationships. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> right. They might get mad at you. They might yell at you. There might be some conflict, but they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. This new brand new little baby of a marriage that you have, that could go somewhere if and, you don't nurture it. And it could be so corrupted by ex external influence of mm-hmm. even people trying to do good things, good positive things. Right. And, and, and one of the other issues then is that as you cave sometimes, which is, which is right. the tendency is, well, let's just do what our in-laws want. Let's just do what my parents want, is then you never really establish those firm boundaries. And it can get into a really nasty feedback loop. So where true. Now when we have kids and grandkids, we've already set the precedent for the first five years that whatever my in-laws want – that's what we're going to do. Oh, my heavens. And the battle for who gets more time and in-laws battling for children and grandchildren, it could get ugly. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University and the director of the Relate Institute. Go to RelateInstitute.com. Wonderful resource to help you uh, understand where you are in the relationship. There's assessments there. Just great tools to help you and your partner um, Take it to the next level. Also, you can go to Relate Institute for Singles as well and get you ready to be even a better partner in the future. Stick with us. We'll continue the discussion about in-laws that are outlawed. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. They all run along and have some fun. I'll see you when you get back. Bet I'll be up all night. Still clean. Welcome back, friends. This is called. This is Rodney Atkins' song, Cleaning His Gun. Have you heard this? I don't think I have, no. This is the dad that's sending his daughter away on a date. Oh, okay. He says, I'll be fine. When you bring her home, I'll just be sitting on the front porch cleaning this gun. Nice. <laughs> that's scary. Violent. Uh, joining us, Dr. Brian Willoughby, Associate Professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, also the director of the Relate Institute. you got to check it out, relateinstitute.com. It really is. I think personally, as kind of a marriage coach or relationship coach, uh, it's one of the best resources around yeah. to get 
to figure out where you are, where your partner is, and then really be directed into how to fix stuff. Right. And, and one of the only ones out there that's research-based. Right. Which is nice. Academic, it's actually based purely. on journal articles and research articles that we've done. Oh, see, this, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Bri, this is why there's so many great researchers, but they don't always communicate right. the research. Yeah. So that's a great site to get it. Um, do you see a lot of students that come up to you and say, my parents hate my wife? Yes. We can't. This isn't going to work. Usually it's the other way around. Is it really? It's my parents hate my husband. For whatever reason, there's a little bit of a gender yeah, it's interesting. piece to that. But but yeah, that is. And it's it's usually not as strong as hates. Yeah. But it's usually it's struggling. Struggling okay. is the code word. <laughs> my, my parents are struggling with my spouse or there's, there's a difference of opinion. And, and oftentimes it's not generalized. It's right. around specific topics. You know, like I was saying before, rituals, holidays. How we money is money, a big his one. Earning that I ability. Get. Yeah. Why isn't he getting a better job? Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. he's never going to provide for you. Yeah. So it's it tends to be topic specific, and it tends to be kind of below the surface. There's not. There's certainly some cases where there's more overt yeah. conflict of you should not be with that person. Divorce as soon as possible. Oh. But it's it's there. It's tension that people can sense. And whenever I talk to my parents, they're passive aggressive. There's there's comments that are made. Whenever they interact with my spouse, I can tell that they're questioning him mm. or her, or they're they're being passive aggressive again. And, and so it's it's there, and it causes a lot of anxiety for what I call is kind of the keystone person, right? Yeah. It's that person that's then trying to manage my parents are over right. here in my ear, telling me all these things that we're supposed to be doing, and then I've got my spouse in my ear telling me all the reasons why they wish my parents would just leave us alone. <laughs> and I'm the one stuck in the middle trying to manage both sides. That key, that's a great name for that. The keystone person that – but they really are the one that has to manage it. No yeah. one else can manage those – that dynamic yeah. f- for you. Yeah, and they become kind of that facilitator because one of the dynamics that oftentimes happens is like I said, we don't – we don't want to all talk together because that would cause anxiety. Right. So we don't want to do that. that so. Yeah. My parents will talk to me and I'll talk to my spouse and then I've got to find some way to to make this work mm-hmm. between those two groups. And how many times do you have your spouse say, call your parents and tell them that we're probably not going to make it this Thursday? Yep, yep exactly. <laughs> to me, there's really great power also, though, in everybody being mature enough that my wife could call them too. Yeah, that's And, the and it's a strong enough relationship that – they can open up a real discussion yeah. as well. That's that's what you're striving for yeah. is, is you want open communication. Everyone's family at that point. At that point. Is if you really are taking seriously the son-in-law or da- daughter-in-law label, I need to treat as a parent that person as a son or daughter and have a relationship that's independent to the one that I have with my actual biological child. Yeah. And, and then hopefully, as we were talking about earlier, having that perception then that my job as a parent at that point is to support both of you in this in this marital relationship. And so I'm going to try to facilitate that as well. Mm. Even if you're doing something that I don't like yeah. or I disagree with, I need to support the two of you. And like almost as – because I could see that if I could support my son-in-law to be healthier and know, and let him know I care about him and I love him, then I'm there for him and I'll use my resources to help him – Man, I'm really only helping my daughter anyway. Right. I'm just strength. I'm strengthening the family. Unit. Right. Exactly. That's powerful. And but why do we struggle with that? It's almost we're still almost competing. It's a competitive model instead of cooperative. Yeah. It's it's because it's a shift for parents, right? Yeah. It's, I've spent twenty plus years with my sole purpose to be support you as an individual. 
where my son or daughter, I'm going to support you. I'm going to try to do what's best for you. And now you're at the stage of life where you're making independent decisions. I basically get to see, and this is where I think a lot of parents struggle. I get to see if you're going to make the right decisions. Mm. And it's a referendum on if I was a good parent. So when I see you pick someone that I don't think is right for you, right. in some ways that triggers my personal anxiety that what did I do wrong? Yeah. Well, and, and that, I mean, that might be part of it. That right. You maybe took stuff for granted. You weren't enough involved. Mm-hmm. And so now I need to make up for that, right? And like I said- <laughs> And that, when that, you have the least power to do so. Exactly. And, and as I said before, that, that's why it's critical that you have these conversations mm. early, yeah. right? Sometimes people will think, well, I've, I've got a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old at home. I don't need to start talking about marriage in terms of here's who you should pick right. as a spouse. Yeah. But you can. Totally. I mean, you, you shouldn't have the conversation. You know, I've got an 11-year-old dog who turns 11 tomorrow, right? I'm Happy not going to have birthday. a conversation yeah. with her about, okay, I want him to be this tall. <laughs> he needs to be and over he six needs foot. To be, you know, we need good engineer. genes. Yeah, he needs all these good, right? But I can talk to her about personality characteristics. Yeah. I can talk to her about someone who's honest mm-hmm. and who's going to sacrifice the relationship and the importance of sacrifice in a marriage and start to build up this is the type of person eventually yeah. down the road that you're looking for. And it seems like one thing I'm seeing, like, so when my daughter, she's been married three years, but when they would have an issue, a fight, her inclination would be to come back to mom and dad Mm -hmm. to get sustained, I guess. And then, but what we would do usually is love her, turn her really quickly and push her back into the fight. And, and, but I could see how you could not, you know, protect him, take a side, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got the benefit of all your education yeah, and those exactly. skills, right? But, but you got, if you don't send them back. Yeah, you got to send them back. You have to avoid what's called coalition building. There you go. Which is where I'm going to go back to my parents because I know my parents will be on my side. And so if I have a conflict with my spouse, I go back to mom and dad. They're going to make me feel good. Yeah. We can team up against my spouse. And that, now what's not happening mm-hmm. is now I'm not working with my spouse. So as a parent, you have to do exactly what you said. I have to support and love and say that sounds really hard. I'm sure that's right. really, you know, I'm going to be emotionally validate, supportive yeah. and validate. But now I think you should probably go back, right? Well, mm-hmm. well dad, what do you think nope. I should do? Nope. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I know. not married to I'm you. I'm not married to you. You need to go talk to your spouse and figure out what's best. I love that. And it's funny now because w- they'll listen to me. Like they'll ask for my advice together and then they'll hear what I'm saying. But, and then you'll see them looking at each other like, see, I told you that. Yeah. Now, you, oh, you, just because your dad's saying it, you'll do it. But yeah. I said that earlier and yeah. it's, it's growing up really. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, some parents will take that advice and say, so what you're telling me is I can never give my kids advice anymore. Well, that's not it. No. You can even give them advice. But what I would say is – is get both of them together and say, hey, next yeah. time you're coming to visit us, if you're struggling with this, let's sit down. And again, I'm not playing therapist, right. but if you just want one other person to kind of hear what you're th- going yeah. through, give you some suggestions, let me do it for both of you because I care about both of you. It's the skills, that, which is what Relate brings too. I mean, it's the skills that they lack. They don't, this is just maturity. Right. And, but parents don't get in the way or you're going to weaken the plant. Exactly. Right? If you're the gardener that's standing over this plant all day, it'll never get sunlight. It'll never get what it needs. Yeah. It, get and, out of the way. And in these young marriages where parents are oftentimes put in these situations, this couple is building the foundation that they're going to build off of for the next 40, 50, 60 years, hopefully. Yeah. And so it's critical that they're establishing these healthy patterns. If they're establishing the pattern of, we don't deal with it, and I go back to my mom and dad. Well, the reality is, we don't like to talk about this, but you're going to be dead in 20 years. <laughs> the reality right? is, eventually yeah, they have to be living in my out. basement. Yeah, eventually <laughs> they have to figure out these things, and so that the quicker they can learn those skills to communicate and resolve their conflict on their own with outside support right. and love, right. the better. Love it. See, it's that simple.
<laughs> right. It's just just do everything we say. That's right. 100% of the time. That's right. Your life will be perfect. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. His name is Dr. Brian Willoughby, uh, Associate Professor in the School of Family Life at BYU, also the director of the Relate Institute. Go to the website, relateinstitute.com. Seriously, just go peruse. Take the assessments. Learn, learn, learn. That's what it's all about for all of us. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, that is Mac Wiseman and bashful brother Oswald. Carry me back to the mountains. Uh, it's a little subtle message that I'm going to bring up with our good brother and down at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Brian are in today. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What's I can't happening? think of a song more unfit for what we're trying to do on BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> Do you episode. get the code? Are you? We're speaking code to you. <laughs> what is that song? It's so. So I'm. I wanted to bring up an article that Jason Buck wrote. Okay. Uh, to BYU, um, go back to the Mountain West Conference, and so that song, <laughs> that song was celebrating. Go back to the mountain. But you're saying, I guess, Spencer, you're trying to not go back to the mountain. Never going to happen. Really? Is it because the mountain won't have us back? No. The please. Mountain West Conference. Please, back. no. They. They want BYU back in that conference. Like, if you remember the Mountain West Sports Network. That was BYU, yeah. The reason it worked was because of BYU and Utah. Mm -hmm. And when Utah said they were going to the Pac-12 and BYU said, okay, well, we're going to go independent, there's a reason that that network was gone within a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) True that. Okay. I I read that and I thought, the boys are going to hate this. They want, they want... BYU back. No question. The American Conference wants BYU. A number of conferences, not Power 5 conferences, would love to have BYU involved because of the national brand and all the reasons that we think mm-hmm. that they belong in the Big 12. Right. I understand the conference context where it's like, well, if I'm tired of losing a game and then being out of the conversation nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no other there's nothing else to play for. I disagree. I think that BYU is figuring out what they want to play for week in and week out. And Notre Dame's not in a conference, yet they remain relevant and important and want to win big games. And this year, BYU has a Notre Dame-like schedule. Yeah. So even though they're not in a conference, it's like, oh, man, another compelling game. They got Michigan State. And then after that, they have another compelling game with an SEC opponent. And then after that, they're at Boise on a Thursday night against a ranked team. Mm. Compelling. Right. I think, the, I think the biggest thing, too, is is just the schedule and the opportunity that these kids have playing on on ESPN almost every every week, um, being able to travel to all these, all these historic venues. Um, that is, man, I mean, that isn't even compared to the Mountain West and the schedule. Right. You know, being able to play, what, Utah State and Wyoming and all those schools compared to Michigan State. Um, you know, UCLA, you get to go travel at the Rose Bowl. You know, all that stuff, man, right there is uh, is way more valuable to me as a recruit. And so what happens is you get uh, higher quality players, which means you have a higher quality product on the field. You win more games. Yeah. And that's how you get into a conference. And uh, you're able to fight for the things that I'm assuming, I didn't read the article that Jason is, you know, wrote about, right? 
But it's that's the point, right? That I mean, I guess there's a downside to having so many great teams to compete against is you might have a harder season, but you also it's strengthen the back, right? You get better. Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. hopefully you, you you get well, you get better, but. And the only way that any team gets better or, or stays great is from recruiting. I mean, you hear about Alabama and how many guys they send to the NFL every year. Well, the next guy, it's really the next guy up because those guys are going to the NFL and the freshmen that just came on are going to the NFL in a couple of years. So it's just, it's just a reloading type of a, type of a program. And so the only way you can get good recruits is if, A, you are sending guys to the NFL – um, but B, if you have something of value, right? Um, as far as a, a brand, you, a player can come to, uh, oh, or, or I, I guess, yeah, go to, right? As far as right. uh, the program um, and everything that comes with it, all the perks, right? The locker room, um, you know, all the things, the jerseys, all that stuff is appealing to eighteen-year-old kids. You know what I mean? And you can't necessarily get that with Mountain West money, Mm-mm. right? But you can get that being independent and trying to, you know, get into a P5. Mm. See, that's all we needed to know. Well, I, I understand that people are like, well, BYU's best chance of breaking into a New Year's Six Bowl game is to win a G5 conference. Maybe, but guess what? Even this year, if BYU were playing in the Mountain West, more likely than not, they're not. They could have a great season, and Houston would be the team because Houston is – Ranked in the top ten. Yep. Like it's yeah, that's true. It's huh? not a guarantee that BYU will be in a New Year's Six bowl game if they win their G five conference. And I think a lot of people kind of like, well, eh, they got to get in the New Year's Six, even if they were a G five and won the conference. There's a one in what six chance of doing that. Mm. Yeah, that's, my, that's my thing. One man. in five. Think, sorry, one in five chance of doing that. But think about that though. If it, if like right now, I feel like we would dominate in one of those conferences. Sure. Right. Great. But but, but that's that's right now. But. With, with with the quality of recruits that we ha- and the players that we have, but do you think if we're in the Mountain West, do you think a fraction of those guys come to BYU still? Fred Warner's not at BYU. <laughs> no, Troy Warner's not at BYU. No way. So no that, way. Those you'll guys just slide back. You just slide. Exactly. Do you, do you exactly. and it seems like again you've got Kalani, one of the great recruiters, really right, and he he is yet to even fully start recruiting. You give him a couple of more years, and BYU winning some of these big games on big stages, and it's going to get better. Yep. It's going to get better. Do, do you think the, the, the schedule for BYU will continue for the next three or four years at, at a high level like this? Or if you keep losing these games, do you become less attractive, or are you more attractive to these other teams? There is something unique about BYU in that they have – scheduled up and they have been competitive in all five games right Won two lost three and now we're going to talk about today on the show what a win against michigan state would do for byu in terms of national attention fans for the team and for those that are looking on at what byu is hmm. you know just guys that aren't maybe invested in byu so heavily but are on the fence about BYU. What would a win against Michigan State do for somebody like that? That's cool. I mean, really, how many 11 points difference between the last five games? Five games, games. yes. Three losses by seven points, two wins by four points. That's funny. They're they're doing okay. They could do better, of course. Wins matter, but they're doing great. Yeah, and I asked somebody on Twitter the other day, a few people actually, 
who were complaining about BYU losing. And I'm tired of moral victories. And I'm like, well, would you rather they lose by 20? <laughs> Seriously. No, yeah, would right. you rather Just they lose by 20? Because right. I understand your frustration. It's frustrating to lose close, but would you rather lose by one or three or by 20? Yeah. You'd feel See. way worse getting your butt kicked. As a fan, I would rather lose by one or two. As a player, I'd rather get my booty kicked. Yeah, would you? Hand it to me. Oh, yeah. It's just more. I, know, I, I said this before. It's because, it's because I know that I got beat man to man. And I know that um, just through the way God created um, the laws of the universe, not all men are created equal <laughs> from a physical standpoint. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I, can, I, can, I can look myself in the mirror and go, he was way bigger. Faster, he killed me. Right. right, exactly. And I left it all on the field. And you know what? It is what it is. But but when I lose by you know one or two points, and that and that's because of maybe one to five plays total. Oh, that, yeah. That's when it's like yeah. Oh, uh huh. And it lingers, and you think about it all weekend. Yeah. And you're like, but that drives you. Stop talking to me. But wife, that drives you. I, it does. But exactly. That's a good point too. And we'll we'll talk about that too coming up. It is is. You know, if 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 BYU goes to Michigan State and they lose, you know what what happens if they lose? You know, by a close margin, uh. or if they get whooped, you know, what does that do to you as a player um, and your psyche moving on? And that brings up a good point because they these close games, they it's harder on the team. Maybe they got to keep getting back up and back up and back up. Anything else on the show that we just need to know about? Because I got to let you go. The aforementioned star linebacker Fred Warner, mm. two-on-one with BYU Sports Nation. Diljeet Taylor of the top 20-ranked BYU cross-country team. and Well, she's a coach, I should oh, yes. say. Yeah. And big deal, no deal. BYU's got a projected freshman of the year in men's basketball. Big deal. That's all go. i got to say. Awesome, guys. <laughs> Sounds like a great show. Knock them dead. We're excited. Right. Kill it. Peace out, yo. Bye. Bye. That's, um, that... You you know what Jeff when you played the the bring him back to the mountain Spence knew exactly what you were talking about Yeah that was kind of a sore spot for him If I were you I'd watch your back walking out here I don't think he knows what I look like He does so. I sent him a picture cuz he just tweeted me like what who did that Thank you Yeah So I just I just sent your family photo I gave him your address too so maybe you'll get something in the mail. As long as he yeah, doesn't send me any dead animals, then we're good. <laughs> hey, if you're a Pennsylvania man, did you hear this story? Is recovering after he was stung by a scorpion that somehow got in his backpack while he was on vacation in the Caribbean. That really hurt. We never lumped there, you idiot. The 22-year-old Warminster resident had returned home from St. Thomas and reached into the pack to get his computer when he was stung. Lesson? Check your pack. Before you before you leave the Caribbean, make sure there's no scorpions or other animals. When I left Australia, I made sure there wasn't any koala bears. All curled up. That's great advice. Just a little advice from the Matt Townsend Show. Always check your bags. You know, you check everything. Check, make sure you don't have liquids. Check, you know, your fingernails. Make sure you leave fruit from other countries. And always, always check for scorpions, just in case. As you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And here's another great hero. A five-year-old helps his ill grandmother. Listen to this. What a great story. A Texas grandma is calling her her grandson a true hero. Renee Preston was home alone in late August when she became ill. Uh, My sugar dropped to 59. I was talking funny and started feeling real strange. 
said Preston, that her grandson, uh, that's when her grandson, Adam Kirsten, jumped into action. He called his grandfather on the phone and then got a glass and poured me a glass of orange juice, said Preston. He then handed me a cookie and said I had to eat it. A short time later, help arrived, but Preston said by the time that happened, everything was under control. Kirsten uh, Five is from Somerville, Texas, and he said someday he wants to be a firefighter. And that boy is already on his way. So there you have it, Preston. You're the hero. Uh, Renee Preston says her Adam, her grandson Adam Kirsten. He's the hero of the day. There you go, Adam. We uh, we love heroes on the show, and again, we personally believe that you are all heroes as well. So make sure we remember that, and let's look after those that are in need, and let's make life better. I promise it's there if you'll just see it. It's uh, you just got to have the eyes to see it, right? The ears to hear it. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. You can get more of on our show from iTunes, on Stitcher. Go to BYURadio.org or TheMattTownsendShow.com. Stick with us, folks. Helping you live life one day at a time. We'll be back tomorrow. Make it a great one. Until then.